Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to All In. My name is Eric, and you are listening to part two of All In Friendsgiving, and I am celebrating Turkey Day with three more amazing members of our community. Because, I mean, are you even Thanksgiving correctly if you're not doing it with friends and family? So I've brought in a few very special members of the All In community to help me celebrate properly we have an amazing indie showcase on risk of rain returns with the one and only matt shy guy city murray a very special top five with bowza and then we are doing a retrospective on the 25th anniversary of the legend of zelda ocarina of time with the master of retro groove octorock 1982 adam caparello I'm really excited for this one, you guys. It's going to be a ton of fun. So let's carve this cuckoo. It's time to go all in. Once again, everybody, happy Thanksgiving and welcome to part two of this Friendsgiving November extravaganza that I'm putting on. And here at the top of the show, I am being joined by an incredible friend of both myself and Seth's, one of our mods, uh, Golden Banana patron, just an all around awesome human being. Tell me welcome to the show right now, Matt Shy Guy City Murray. Or, as I'm known around the Discord, the other shy guy. <laughs> the other shy guy. No, you're 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 just you're 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 mad. You're you're never the other. You're never... <laughs> I forget. Like a year ago, I forget who it was. It was uh, maybe M- Maddie Beth uh, called me the other shy guy. <laughs> I I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So just want to make sure I'm not mad about it. I think it's great. I think that's awesome. I'm I'm the grumpy shy guy that doesn't talk much. Uh, and I love your commitment to the bit. Nintendo just recently put up brand new icons for Super Mario RPG, and they even have one for the shy guys that you meet early on in the in the game with the uh, uh, pogo sticks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've already got that one up. I love that. Yeah, they put uh, Boshi ones up today. I, I thought about changing it, but no, nah, you got to stick with shy guy. Yeah, yeah. I got, you know, Gino commitment to the bit too i mean that's my key art for the hanafuna card so i gotta do that but uh uh you know thank you for being such a great friend to us over the past couple years matt we really appreciate your support and and all the help that you've given us uh you are a a truly valued member of this community and i'm incredibly happy to have you on for friendsgiving well hey i appreciate it i feel like i don't do a whole lot around here so i'll take all the praise i can get (laughs) well like i said uh matt is one of our amazingly valued golden manana patrons and here at the top of every episode we make a point of shouting out all of our incredible golden banana and triforce tier patrons and especially here the togetherness of thanksgiving spending time with family and friends what would that be if we didn't give credit to all of those awesome friends so first starting with our golden banana patrons 
I want to shout out Rob Yaple, Sam the Third Strongest Mole, Sean, Sean O. Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad, number four, some guy named Matt Shy Guy City Murray. Any relation, hmm. Matt? Other, other shy guy. Other, other shy guy. <laughs> Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, Foolish Fuji, and Alan. Hashtag look to the cookie. But moving into our Triforce tier, what I think. Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. Bowser, keeper of the hugs, which we'll be hearing from a little bit later. John. Dadfast Cummins of Retro Logic and On Topic Retro. And again, I want to shout out the one of the beneficiaries of our Mario Wonder giveaway last month. Uh, <laughs> I love the way Seth says this. The Globe Trotting Jet Set Nintendo <laughs> Hub and Sparky. Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, whom we will also hear from later on in the episode. Uh, Shy Guy, the other half of our shy guy mod squad <laughs> daniel linahosa dan and luma solo something and the legend himself the one and only unotherable uncle randy oh i like that unotherable Ooh, that's good i really like that well I done, was, sir i was glad i could think of something in the last 30 seconds yeah <laughs> But a huge, huge thank you uh, and an extra special happy Thanksgiving to all of those awesome patrons. No new new reviews that I've seen to to shout out. Uh, Makes sense. Everybody's kind of working on the turkey this weekend. But uh, my friend, you know, this is the, the part of the episode where we kind of talk about what we've been doing over the past week or so. And uh, I'd really like to hear what you've been up to. Our friend Matt, for those who don't know, actually lives overseas. And, uh, you know, Germany's not really one for Thanksgiving, is it, Matt? Uh, no, but according to my mom, uh, it should be. Uh, she asks every single year if germany celebrates thanksgiving and i always have to tell her no uh and then she asks why and then i say think about it for a second and then she eventually <laughs> she gets there eventually but then forgets um so yeah the past week uh in terms of nintendo stuff mostly yeah. just mario rpg honestly yeah yep um i think i'm like the well-known mario rpg naysayer in the discord even though i've i've always really liked it i just yeah. I don't hold it as uh, on a pedestal the way other people do, but um, man, that remake is real good. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I I wasn't really excited for it too much, uh, but then all of a sudden, like two days before it came out, I was like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I could really use a Mario RPG right about now, and yeah, that game is fantastic. It's really risen in my Mario RPG rankings now. It's still no Paper Mario sixty four. But uh, it's real dang good. Yeah. Uh, probably my favorite, like, Nintendo remake or remaster uh, on the Switch, I would say. I, I was not Really? Expecting... Yeah, I think so. Uh, I was not expecting that, but I don't know the music, how it looks. Uh, it Incredible. Just real good. I'm near the end. Uh, I Well, end of the main game. I know there's all the boss refights and stuff, but yeah. Last night, I was doing some side quests before I go off to finish the main game. Yeah, I am painfully familiar with 
that game. So I've obviously <laughs> been playing it uh, quite a bit myself as well. I have beaten the main game. I am into those those boss refights you were talking about. I didn't, you know, I've been trying to avoid. Uh, I didn't really know if there was anything specifically to spoil in this game going mm-hmm. into it, but just in case, I was trying to avoid a whole bunch of stuff. And and sure enough, once I got to the end of the game, which unfortunately because i'm so familiar with it at this point was kind of disappointingly easy the bosses were just basically falling by the wayside and i was like uh i wish he had a little bit more hp but right but i got to the end and then all of a sudden you know they surprise you with uh a a much more robust wealth of post game at least compared to the first game not saying that you're going to get like an extra 50 hours out of it or anything Mm -hmm. but there's a few nice surprises for the post game that uh, i was unaware of going into it and uh my 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 lamentations big word there my lamentations about the lack of difficulty from the main quest were were quickly put to bed because the uh the, the, the extra stuff, the post-game stuff, is wonderfully interesting and, and did test me a little bit and has tested me already. I'm not done with it quite yet, uh, but uh, I'm enjoying the, the post-game stuff quite a bit. And honestly, it was just great to go back and replay a game that I have loved for so, so long. It, uh, it certainly captured, it absolutely captured the spirit of the original and going back and kind of refinding all of the secrets, getting to a map, and all of a sudden that memory triggers in my brain. is like, oh, there's a thing here. I remember that. And just <laughs> right. going back through and doing all that. It's, it's been a great experience over the past week. Yeah, I, I know what you mean about the, the boss fights. Uh, the last time I played this, I think, was the Wii Virtual Console release. So that was like 15 years ago at this yeah, point. Which that already. Makes me feel, yeah, that makes me feel like dirt. Um, <laughs> but the last time I played it, I remember having, like, I struggled with the Axum Rangers. And I was kind of not dreading it in this case. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to get ready for those Axum Rangers. And then, yeah, I, I they they were just done. It was like five turns and they were just gone. I didn't even have like the, was it the lazy shell? Didn't even have it yet. I was shocked. Well, the, well those group attacks just make such quick work, especially out of uh, groups or the, the triple attacks. I mean, they just mm. make such quick work out of, especially groups of, of opponents. So, but uh, yeah, I, I love the Axum Rangers and uh I love that fight from the original. I do certainly remember it being a little bit more of a challenge last time around. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, I shouldn't get into every fight that I see. I think I was a little bit over leveled. <laughs> yeah, I think I was like level 24 or something when we got there. <laughs> you were 24. <laughs> <laughs> I th- somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Axum Rangers in there. Yeah, that that's that was probably a much easier fight. <laughs> But yeah, still, I've had a I've had a lot of fun. Really excited when they announced Mario RPG earlier on this year. Really glad to get the opportunity to to check it out. I'm hoping that I'll be able to finish the boss refights here uh, this weekend. But uh, anything else going on in your life over the past seven days, my friend? Um, not too much. I did watch the first episode of the Scott Pilgrim anime. This oh, morning. nice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the movie. Um, but yeah, I, I quite like this though. I find the art style was very striking. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more, but I think, yeah, Nintendo adjacent. I think that's about it. I will say that was a bit of a surprise there at the end of that first episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I genuinely <laughs> was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
all I'm going to say about that is uh, you may want to strap in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, I've, I've watched the entire thing myself too. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Seth actually messaged me the day it came out. He said, I've watched the entire thing twice already. I was like, good Lord, yeah. man. <laughs> I got a similar message of like, Hey, I'm, I'm actually watching it for the second time right now. I was like, Oh, okay. It's that good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, in addition to that, uh, on my side of the uh, on my side of the week, I will shout out the fact that in addition to rolling credits on Super Mario RPG, I've also, as a matter of fact, on the exact same day, I rolled credits on uh, the other '90s RPG remake that came out this month that I've been looking forward to, and that is, of course, Star Ocean: The Second Story R. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, finally, rolled credits on that. My God, I love that game so much. Um, but there's just, there's so, so much else that I could get out of that. There's also a decent amount of post-game content, uh, a, a pretty, uh, robust extra helping of post-game content in this version of the game as well. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to all of it, but like, in addition to all of that, there are actually literally 99 endings. Oh, okay. That's cool. The game even has an achievement for for unlocking all of them, and I'm like, I love this game. There's no way I'm, <laughs> no way, and on God's green earth, that I'm ever going to be able to come close to that achievement. Is uh, is it like near Automata, where like it does have 26 endings or whatever, but not really? Like they're just kind of like goofy little cutscenes, or is it actual full on like endings? Well, the way the endings work, there's a pretty dynamic relationship system. In, in Star Ocean, the second story. Uh, and not only that, but there are a lot of different party members. You can recruit up to eight characters, but there's like, I think, 15 actual potential party members. So you're never going to be able to recruit, recruit everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like even on, uh, there, there are two required, Claude and Rena, the two main characters are required. So... Even on two full playthroughs of the game, you still wouldn't be able to recruit every available party member. So it would take you three separate playthroughs just to see an ending for every character. But uh, because of the dynamic relationship status that I just mentioned, uh, like if two characters wind up together, they'll get their own tandem ending. Oh, okay. So, you know, you've got uh, like an ending with Claude. There's actually multiple endings with Claude and Rena, depending on how things shake out. There are endings with other pairs of uh, the, the party members that you can get. They each have their own individual endings if they're not, you know, if their relationship status, if they're, you know, love status, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call that stat. If that isn't, <laughs> basically, if everybody else is paired up and they haven't, uh, they're kind of the odd man or woman out, then they'll have their own uh, ending. But between all the different pairings and all the different combinations and everything, yeah, there's actually 99 different little ending cutscenes. I got five on my first playthrough with the different characters that I had going on. But uh, yeah, trying to get, yeah, I got five on one playthrough, if that gives you any indication <laughs> about how long it would take to get all 99. Sure. Yeah. One twentieth of the way there. Yeah. And that's, you know, assuming that I don't accidentally get doubles up of the endings <laughs> ever. So and th- this was originally a PlayStation one RPG, right? 
it is insane to me. Even now, it is insane to me how much stuff is in this game. They have, again, they, they've added a little bit of content here and there, but just going back and looking at what the PlayStation 1 version of the game was able to do and how much you were able to do is still absolutely staggering to me. It really is. It's, I love that game. I really do. I it still bugs me how Square Enix handled the physical release, and I've said that every week. But uh, but it is such a special game; it really, really is. If you like J, uh, JRPGs, I really cannot recommend it enough. It's so special. Yeah, it's been on my list ever since that direct it was revealed. Uh, I thought it looked neat there, and then yeah, you you were freaking out about it uh, on y'all. I was I was actually reaction. freaking out about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I missed a lot of JRPGs back then, um, and it's funny going back to a lot of them now. Like, I didn't play Chrono Trigger until the DS port. Oh, that was mm-hmm. 2008, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. RPGs back then, I, I'm not, again, I don't like to hold things on a pedestal like that, but uh, they do just hit different. I don't know. Like, I appreciate that, like, they were experimenting with just the act of how a game ends back then and playing around with yeah, we'll just have a bunch of endings. I don't know. That's really, really cool. I'll say just to, to show you kind of how how well regarded it was in my household. That mm. was basically like the last game, the last video game that my younger sister ever really got into. Mm. And after one of our family friends accidentally saved over her file, that was honestly like kind of the end of my sister's video game journey. She hasn't really played <laughs> video games since. Uh, but I told her that this remake was coming out and she was like, I've got to get it. I have to get it. I need to get it. Um, but even more so than that, even more so than that, uh, I have an adorable niece that I that I absolutely love to death. She is my world. Uh, my sister, when I was talking to her about this game coming out, she confided in me. There's a character that you can get fairly early on, uh, a party member by the name of Ashton Anchors, who's actually possessed with a two-headed dragon. He's amazing. Um, but we, we loved Ashton so much as a character. My sister confided in me. She said, if my niece had been a boy, his name would have been Ashton. You know what? In, in the grand scheme of like parents naming their kids, like nerdy things. I think that's pretty good. That one, yeah. that one's camouflaged up. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have been a thousand percent on board with that. I would have been completely on board with that, but yeah, that's, you know, you, you talk about holding things on a pedestal. Yes, arguably I do that with Star Ocean 2, but still, it's it really is such a special game. Again, full, full recommend from me on uh, for any JRPG fan. So I hope you get the chance to play it sometime. But, but uh, in terms of other stuff, yeah, I also watched, I watched the entirety. I didn't watch it twice like a certain <laughs> someone. Uh, but I watched the entirety of the the new Scott Pilgrim anime. It was really, really cool. And we'll be talking about it here in just a few minutes. But uh, you and me and Seth, we all, as a matter of fact, jumped on this brand new Risk of Rain Returns earlier uh, this week. Earlier mm-hmm. last weekend, as a matter of fact. And I'm really, really excited to talk about that. But outside of that, I think that's kind of it been you know a little thing couple little things here and there um i oh i did actually get to to check around i did get to check on the new ultraman dlc on gigabash so that's mm. really cool sparky i do 
I do owe you an online multiplayer session of Gigabash. I'm aware of that. We need to get that hooked up very, very soon. Um, continuing to, to, I've only got the 200 CC cups left in Mario and uh, a couple, uh, a couple games that are actually embargoed right now that we can't talk about. So, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a full week for me, but uh, my friend, uh, you know, one of the biggest reasons that we wanted to bring you on is the fact that, you know, I asked you if you had any ideas, if you had any, uh, any games that you wanted to talk about, any ideas for segments. And you're like, Hey, Hey, this, this, this awesome game risk of rain returns really came out. And we talked about it a couple times and you're like, Hey man, this game risk of rain returns is still, still out. And it's really cool. And I was like, all right, all right. But it turned out to be kind of the perfect game for Thanksgiving because here we are, you know, celebrating togetherness and spending time with friends and family. And that was actually something that allowed you, me, and my co-host to do just that. So we were somehow able to finagle, finagle Seth into this week's Indie Showcase, which I am grateful for. But uh, I'm really excited to break this one down with you, my man. So let's get to it. What do you say? Yeah, I'm... Very excited to talk about this. Uh, when I first joined y'all's Discord, there was like a list of games I had that I'm like, all right, I'm going to get these dudes to play this game and this game and this <laughs> game. I think Anodyne 2, Hypnospace Outlaw. There's maybe another one. And then I think Risk of Rain, the series, was like my last uh, white whale here. So I, I guess this is where I retire. <laughs> yeah, you kind of hit the trifecta. Well, in celebration of that, our indie showcase this week is Risk of Rain Returns. All right, Matt, I'm really excited to, to talk about this game because as the name would imply, Risk of Rain Returns, this is yet another remake that we have played this week. Uh, the original game came out, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think it was November 8th, uh, 2013, um, and that they released this on November 8th of this year and also the console versions of Risk of Rain 2 got their big paid update that's been years in the making. So it was a big risk of rain day i guess yeah and i will say here at the top risk of rain is now owned by gearbox who is owned by embracer group so but i'm gonna say if you go to gearbox's website gearbox still calls themselves an independent video game developer so you know what risk of rain returns is still an independent game darn it you know if gearbox wants to call themselves an independent developer still then we're gonna go with it but uh, just get if if Dave the Diver can be dominated for the Game Awards, best in either, <laughs> we can do what we want here. <laughs> That's fair. That's completely fair. But it was developed. It wasn't developed by uh, Gearbox Games. It was developed by, what was it, Hopu? Ha- Hapo or Hopu? Yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Hopu Games. But really, really interesting. Again, like you said, they just released this version. Risk of Rain returns this month on the 10th anniversary of the original and i like the perspective i've only played this version i didn't play the original you have so i'm gonna like this perspective of of you coming in with a history of the series and me kind of you know a, a new a newbie to to the franchise but this is this is definitely not the first game like this that you and i have played together this year kind of gave me some 30xx vibes a little bit but um but why did you kind of break down the game for the folks? Tell them what Risk of Rain is all about, my friend. 
So Risk of Rain, it's kind of a side-scrolling roguelite. And I know, I know, there's a lot of these. I know you're rolling your eyes. But uh, <laughs> this has um, a lot of unique things going on. I mean, again, you have to remember the time in which it came out. So 2013 originally, um, there weren't, the market wasn't nearly as flooded with roguelites at that time. Um, yeah. This, this game has a very different flavor than a lot of other roguelites, especially like more modern ones. Um, they did add some like quality of life stuff into this remake that we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's really just, it's a sci-fi side-scrolling shoot 'em up um, There's a bunch of unique characters. I'm not sure how many characters are in the original and how many are in this, but it's, I think it's over a dozen and each one is. Yeah. The, each, the, the description says 15. Okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. Uh, and each character is, control well they control the same but they all have different abilities um, yeah they do yeah very different abilities especially once you start getting into unlocking their alternate abilities um it's funny like the, the commando is who you start with uh, i think yeah. you also start with huntress but commando is just a very basic uh you have like dual pistols and you have like a commando slide or dodge roll or whatever um but then you start getting into some real weird stuff like engineer who's building turrets yeah um, yeah, Engineer's like a fan favorite. I know my buddy, when he unlocked Engineer in this, he was like, finally, the real game can start now. <laughs> um, a personal favorite of mine is Chef. Uh, it's just a, a giant robotic <laughs> chef. Yeah, uh, you were actually playing with Chef when we were playing together, and that was hilarious just to watch this giant robot. Well, giant in relative terms. The actual characters on screen uh, are not very tall. But, you know, relative to myself and Seth's characters, just to watch this huge robot in a giant white poofy chef's hat running around, <laughs> like chopping people with cleavers and everything. It was hilarious. Yeah. And he one of his moves is like oil slide. So you slide on, on oil on the ground and spread it on enemies. And then you can turn around and then blast like a fire blast out of your chest. And it makes like an oven like dinging sound when it does that. <laughs> uh, just very cute details all around. Um and yeah, like like you said uh, a second ago, the graphics are very simple. Like the characters, besides the bosses, are all pretty small, um, which is kind of where the main improvement in this remake comes from. Uh, for as small and kind of nondescript as some of the character sprites are in this, uh, compared to the original, it's I don't know, it's like going from eight bit to sixteen bit graphics in a lot of ways. Um, it's really neat how, I don't know how much personality is able to come through in such a small, tiny little frame of animation. Um, I don't know, like the way the sniper reloads his rifle, uh, again, everything with chef is adorable and good. Um, it's just a really cool game all around. And then I guess the main aspect of the game that kind of differentiates it from a lot of, uh, roguelites is that there's a constant timer going up. Yeah, uh, and the longer you take to get through the game, the harder it starts getting. Um, and then also, you are picking up items along the way. This can be done through uh, opening chests from uh, with money that you get by killing enemies. Uh, you can gamble on shrines to drop chests. Bosses uh, drop items and stuff. And every item in the game gives you some kind of buff in some way or another. And it's I don't know, really simple stuff from like uh, hitting enemies heals you to um a tesla coil that is just constantly shooting electricity out of your body and chaining it to all the enemies around um 
if it wasn't clear, I, I meant to say this a second ago, but uh, it's basically like a side-scrolling Diablo in a lot of ways in that it's completely dependent. It's fully based around your cooldowns and managing your cooldown times. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a big aspect of the game. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's side-scrolling. It's a 2D side-scrolling action platformer, uh, essentially, uh, broken up into several different kind of overworld screens. You jump into the first area and, you know, enemies start appearing. You got to take them out. And like you said, you'll continue to get experience and you'll continue to get money. But you also need to be aware of that timer that's going up. You can't necessarily spend too much time. The game doesn't give you just carte blanche to run around and pick up as many items and power-ups and everything as you want. The game will continue to get progressively more difficult. But the way that you progress in this game, I think, is really interesting because there, somewhere on the map, there is a teleporter to the next area. Mm -hmm. And once you activate, once you find the teleporter... Uh, you are able to activate it, and once you do, you start a countdown. And once the countdown is over, then you are available to more uh, morph. You're available to teleport to the next level. However, activating the teleporter uh, begins to spawn a ridiculous number of enemies, including an absolutely gargantuan boss fight. Uh, so that's kind of the the balance really here in Risk of Rain is a lot of the hallmarks that we've come to expect from roguelikes are absolutely here, but you know you've got to you, you've got to balance your your running around and picking up loot, picking up uh, items and, and augments. You've got to balance that with you can't let it go too long, or else the difficulty is going to overwhelm you. Right. So it really doesn't behoove you to like scour the map for every single chest and shrine or whatever. Like, yeah, get what you can. Uh, but yeah, you want to keep in mind where that teleporter is. Uh, it's sometimes it's a problem, even just finding the teleporter, especially in the more vertical levels, like the, the, the fungi cav caverns and uh, the water level and stuff. Uh, the whole game, I always kind of liken roguelites to like decision simulators. Like when I play Spelunky, I'm thinking about like, okay, where do I spend my money? Or do I just be a big dumb idiot and do I rob the shopkeeper? And like, <laughs> do I go after the giant spider to try and get the pace? Or do I just let it go and try and get away from it kind of thing? It's always like a risk versus reward decision-making thing. And Risk of Rain is kind of like the ultimate, I don't know, realization of that to me. Uh, like every single action you're doing in the game in some way or another is you deciding like, okay, is it worth it? Do I okay? There's a big chest there, but I'm I need like 300 more money. Do I sit here um, and try and farm that money off of enemies spawning, or do I move on and try and find a different chest that costs less? And who knows? Maybe I get a good item in that chest too. Uh, and then that's doubly so uh, when you factor in the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, the game is up to four player, uh, local or online co-op. Yeah, um, which is to me the big differentiator, but. Uh, as someone that hadn't played it before, how, how did you find that the session that, that you and Seth and I engaged in? Well, I was the one who hosted the session. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was it looked like playing local. I didn't see a single even remote hiccup. Uh, you know, I spent most of the time around you guys because we were trying to support each other. But, uh, well, that, that's not a lie. We actually did get split up quite a bit. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot, regardless of if you mean it to. It just, it just kind of a natural part of the game. Yeah. Uh, 
But from my perspective, it ran incredibly smoothly. I know you guys said you saw a couple hiccups, but for me, it was because, again, I was the one hosting the session, I imagine. But for me, it ran flawlessly when it came to the online connection. Yeah, uh, I've probably put around 40 hours into this game now, so I, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of its like issues online. Mm -hmm. um, the big thing that happens is like enemies that are dead... Uh, will just their sprite will still be like moving around and even following you and you can't interact with them at all <laughs> it's a ghost <laughs> exactly i was actually thinking like hey this would actually be a cool mechanic in a like a horror it's, game it's not a bug it's a feature man yeah yeah <laughs> uh it, like hey if if on the offshoot that eternal darkness 2 ever happens hey, this would be a cool mechanic oh, that's that that's a great idea i love that um, that's probably the most common online hiccup that happens. And yeah, it doesn't happen for the host. Um, and the, the further into the game you get and the more enemies that are on screen, yeah, it's more likely to happen. Uh, I did once when I was playing with my wife, we ran into, I was playing as loader, which is like a big, uh, they basically look like, um, Ripley does at the end. Of yeah, Aliens. exactly. I actually played with loader during our session. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, Loader is one of my favorites. Just a big, dumb punching thing. You just run around. You got a grappling hook and you're punching things and setting up like traps, kind of. Um, one of the key features of Loader is because you're always in the fray. One of their passive abilities is you could just turn invincible for two seconds. Because Yeah. Yeah, yeah you need it. It wasn't clear. Yes. There's, there's a lot of enemies in this game. Yes, there are a ton of enemies, especially, you know, once you spend like 30, 45 seconds on a level, it starts to get it starts to get a little overwhelming. But yeah, loader is like with most of the projectile characters, you just kind of hold down the attack button. And like with Commando or Huntress that you mentioned earlier, they'll just, you know, continue to shoot their twin pistols. They'll continue to shoot their the arrow, uh, their bow and arrow or whatever. But with loader, it actually took me a while to realize if I just, you know, hold down the the normal attack button, he'll just do his like normal one hit punch. It took me about half the playthrough to realize like, oh, he actually has a three hit attack, like an actual combo <laughs> attack. I was right. like, oh, this changes everything. Yeah. And I think that third hit like knocks them in the air yeah, and can stun them and stuff. Yeah, it's a stunning attack. I'm like, well, that makes this character a lot more viable. Yeah. Um oh but yeah before we move on uh yeah when i was playing as loader with my wife uh and she was hosting i had this glitch where like two of my abilities just were locked and didn't work anymore oh wow uh, okay yeah i thought it was just like the interface was messed up and like the abilities would still work but nope that, that was not the case i i died uh i also couldn't see my health it was saying the glitch happened while i was invincible uh, so I was taking damage, but it was popping up as I was invincible. So I was like, okay, at least the glitch is working in my favor. Nope, it was not. I was dead. Uh, so that's kind of the only major problem I've run into in like my 40 hours of play with it. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise, it, yeah, it's a great, really smooth experience, especially if you're hosting. Yeah, there's like no issues at all if you're hosting from what I've seen. Yeah, and I will say when it comes to the abilities... Uh, you've already touched on this, but the abilities of the characters make them feel incredibly varied. The characters don't feel remotely like each other. Uh, even even individual projectile characters like the aforementioned Commando and Huntress, which I also both played during our uh, during our session. One of the big things about the Huntress is the fact that she has what's called kiting mm -hmm. in the game, which is essentially she one hundred percent maintains 
her standard movement while she's attacking. Whereas if you're doing your normal attack as the commando, it kind of slows him down and he has to kind of set himself. Uh, so you don't really have his full movement capability. The Huntress, you basically just hold down the attack button the entire time and you can still run around as normal, which alone offers an incredibly different uh, type of gameplay experience. But yeah, all the different abilities, you have your normal attack for each character, which is, for all the characters that I've played as, at least, is just a, an infinite ammo, you know, something that you can always do. And that's done by the, the ZL button, I believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then you have three separate abilities uh, to the rest of the, the shoulder buttons, to the L, to the R, to the ZR uh, buttons. And those all, you know, work on cooldowns, like you said, cooldown management, a.k.a. Diablo and all that stuff. And just trying to figure out the best uses of those, like the, the default one for the commando, the default. Uh, ability set for the commando one of them is a really potent dodge roll that you can use to get out of uh, that you can use to get out of trouble despite the commando's kind of lackened i don't know if that's a, even a word but <laughs> despite the commando's kind of lackened mobility when you're just standing there shooting he's got a decent little dodge roll ability he's also got kind of this armor piercing this enemy piercing energy shot and then he's got like this barrage shot where he just immediately fires off like 20 bullets rapid fire and they're all really good and they have uh good uses uh like the the rapid fire ability stuns and pushes enemies back and then obviously the the enemy piercing attack is good for extra damage and good to hit multiple enemies at once but then and this was apparently an ability or a feature ported in from Risk of Rain 2, now in this version of the game, in this remake of the game, each of the characters all have a completely separate list of specials and, and alternate attacks that you can unlock. Each of the characters has an additional LR and ZR ability that you can get and customize their moveset with, which... I mean, in addition to the 15 incredibly different characters, having all of those extra abilities can, uh, like, you can create some insane different loadouts with characters. Right. So my favorite character in the game is Mercenary, because I'm a big anime dork that likes laser katanas and stuff. Um, who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so his default, I forget which button it is, but maybe it's ZR. His def default ZR is... He can just like spin through the air and kind of like slice his sword in a big circular motion and it's it's cool for like a big group of enemies or whatever um but the ability you unlock uh i guess we'll get into that how you unlock certain things in a bit but uh it's actually like a parry uh and the timing is kind of different and you wouldn't think you would think a parry in a game is like frantic as this would be not it, useful it does get very frantic um if anything, like the franticness of the game kind of makes the parry way easier <laughs> to pull off. It's like, um, somebody's going to be attacking me right now. I might yes. as well use it. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it hits in like a huge overarching uh, arc. Uh, I think it does like a thousand to two thousand percent damage with that parry. Jeez, okay. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Um I'm always a big like parry person. I always, you know, in fighting games, I suck at fighting games, but I, I love seeing parry mechanics. Like Street Fighter Six has like three different parry mechanics <laughs> built in. Um, I think it, I think it's so neat. 
Um, and so I don't know to have like a simplified uh, parry that like a dummy like me can actually pull off in a game like this. It it's pretty fun. I'm just trying to because it it will take a little bit. You don't have a lot of this stuff at the offset. A lot of this you will have to play the game quite a bit in order to unlock. Um, like during our playthrough, just because. You know, we had all these people and we were actually able to roll credits or at least you and I were able to roll credits on the game three times. We were able to see a lot of what this game has to offer. And because of that, I was able to unlock some really, really cool stuff, including several different characters, including kind of I don't think I ever would have found kind of like that secret character hidden in the final stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but even then, uh, there's a lot to do. Um that if you want to get like kind of those extra abilities, it's not just something to where you immediately have access to those. So you will have to unlock those. But for me, for me, that's perfectly fine. I love that old school kind of approach to, to content. I've always really enjoyed that serotonin hit of unlocking a new piece of content in a game. And all of a sudden having a brand new toy to try out, jumping in, trying it out and be like, Oh, this is amazing. And finding a brand new way to play the game. Yeah, and they do such a good job of like giving you just enough to start learning and start experimenting, but not giving you too much to overwhelm you. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, if they gave you like six characters at the start, you wouldn't know what to do. Um, I will say, uh, I don't remember the game being as hard <laughs> as it is. Um, <laughs> my wife and I put like, I want to say like 500 ish hours into two. Um, and I probably put like a few hundred hours into one back in the day. Um, but yeah, I thought this was going to be a cakewalk going in. Like we just put it on normal instantly. And I think we were both dead within like yeah. five minutes. Yeah, we both. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we both kind of ate dirt pretty quickly. Um, I, I have reached the point with the game now where I can play on normal and, and usually win at least by myself. Um, it becomes a, bit, a different story when you have to like share the items because that's also something I forgot to mention. Uh, when you're playing in multiplayer, it does not scale up the amount of items that you're getting. So it becomes a matter of like, oh, hey, you don't have any healing items. Maybe you should come grab this and then I'll grab that offensive item or whatever. Yeah, uh, it it doesn't seem like they scale up the enemies, but in tandem with that, it they also don't like scale up the power ups. So right. if you want to be like a jerk and just hoard all the power ups, you can. There's weirdly enough, there's actually uh, a uh, like an accessibility option for that there there's a way that actually kind of forces you and helps you Mm -hmm. even out the power-ups a little bit yeah it's really smart they actually have a lot of cool accessibility features in the game like they let you just turn down the amount of damage you take and turn up the amount of damage you do yeah um which is appreciated you were talking about secret characters earlier uh when we played last week i thought i had all the characters there no there is a super secret hidden character that uh i won't go super into detail but the unlock method is so I, I don't know esoteric that like when I read <laughs> it online, I just assumed it was fake. Um, yeah. A buddy of mine was like, "Nope, it's real. Let's do it." Uh, it it's like Sonic and Tails in Smash Bros. Melee levels of like it sounds like it's just there to waste your time, but no, it's real. Uh, and that character is very weird and cool. But yeah, this game is great when it comes to secrets and unlocks and stuff like that. It's real, real cool. I love that. As as a as a huge fan of the Mortal Kombat franchise, I, I quite enjoy the esoteric secrets and uh, the fun that comes with stuff like that. But I, I a couple other things I want to touch on because there's there's weirdly like a lot to get into this game. Well, we've already talked about the individual 
uh, abilities that the characters have. But one of the cool things, in addition to all the power-ups that you can collect, is there are additional uh, collectible abilities, triggerable Mm -hmm. abilities within the game that can also have a massive, massive impact on a run. And those are triggered with the, the A button, I believe. But it's, you know, from things like shooting out a massive boomeranging saw blade to literally stopping time for six seconds <laughs> to uh, to creating like a weird ghostly doppelganger of every enemy on screen, including the bosses. There's some weird stuff going on, but those can be collected by any character. So, you know, if you're playing a more support style role there's actually more support style characters in this game if you want to you know if you want to kind of focus on multiplayer but if you want to have like a big offensive weapon then sure enough you can grab that saw blade or you can grab something more offensive in that regard and i do like that i do like that that you have a, a little bit even amongst the the customizing the customizability of the the move set and the special moves i do like that each run you can still collect and unlock you know different abilities to further change up the run yeah uh yeah that time freeze really saved us uh, yeah it did <laughs> yes it did uh yeah that w- that's some straight up like jojo's bizarre adventures uh, the world stuff going on <laughs> um, yeah uh i'm glad you brought up the support character because uh or characters uh that's something like more new to this remake like they added this character called the drifter uh that i tried playing as and uh yeah he's like a thief and he's running around with like a big sack of items on his back and you he has a very unique mechanic where you whack enemies with the sack and they drop scrap and then the amount of scrap meter that you have filled determines what special moves you can do uh it sounds like it'd be again would be too complicated and whatever in this super frenetic game but it actually works really well the meter is very readable and then uh, his R button that you need most of a meter full to pull off lets you create four temporary items yeah. that either you or everyone else can grab. Yes. Um, so cool. It's so yeah. cool. So the, the character literally creates power-ups that uh, that the entire team can collect. And that also helped out quite a bit. That was that was very nice. You were like, hey, I'm dropping items. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's also funny when I first unlock that character. I'm like, okay, the cooldown time on that has to be insane, right? Yeah, uh, it's it's not. It's only like ten seconds. You still need to get a, a full meter again, but yeah. it's that's also not that hard in the late game when you're just constantly surrounded by enemies anyway. So exactly, yeah, uh, yeah. They did such a cool job, um, just from the perspective of someone that's you know been here with the series the whole time. Um, they added Artificer from Two, which is one of my favorites. It's like a tech wizard lady that shoots fireballs and electric orbs um they added uh yeah drifter and i forget what the other there's a third new character and then there's the super secret whatever yeah. character oh pilot was the other one but yeah it's also balanced and yeah we'll get off of the characters in a second because yeah it, there's just so much to talk about there but suffice to say like we've been saying repeatedly they all play super differently yeah it's so much fun to just find your character it's like a fighting game like when you when you find the character that clicks for you it it's so satisfying yeah i don't know if loader is is ultimately going to be my character i i quite enjoyed hunters but i still have several characters left to unlock and i i really you know that's one of the things like i ooh, what are they going to play like you know what are their Mm -hmm. abilities how are they going to work um 
But, you know, as you know, you've talked about your history with the franchise, and I am interested because we've talked about some of the changes in the updates that Risk of Rain, Risk of Rain Returns has made, including the, uh, you know, a couple of changes from Risk of Rain 2, like the, the characters and the extra customizable abilities. But I'm interested in, for somebody who has spent so much time on the original, like, what do you see? What do you notice coming in with that perspective? So, I mean, yeah, the obvious answer is, yeah, the, the graphics are a huge upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, but we touched on that. And yeah, really, in a podcast, what can you really say beyond, hey, this looks a lot better? Yeah. Um, I will say one cool thing is they do, uh, in, in a couple places in the game, they do actually kind of feature the old and new sprites side by side. So there's a couple mm-hmm. places where they specifically, because like, hey, this is what the old version looked like. This is what the new version looked like. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, the end credits does the like Donkey Kong Country or exactly, Mario World yeah. style thing of like the the enemies are the credits and not the people kind of thing. And, <laughs> yeah, they display all the sprites side by side. Yeah, that's really cute and good. Um, and yeah, we touched on the characters. Apparently, I do want to shout out real quick. Uh, you're better at pronouncing his name than I am. Uh, Chris Chris Tudelou, uh, <laughs> the 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 composer of this game. Um, amazing soundtrack. Uh, absolutely absolutely incredible one of my all-time favorites it's really funny is it really oh yeah it's it's way up there for me it's also it's almost like comical like hearing these like wailing moody like i don't i don't even know how to describe it just incredibly atmospheric yeah moody sci-fi guitars and keyboards just coming out of this like little pixel game where everything is just like made of five sprites like industrial Uh, yeah yeah, it's so good in so many different moods. Like the underwater music is it's just it's so moody and kind of more melancholic. Oh, it's so good. Uh, apparently, the reason I bring that up, uh, aside from giving Chris props, uh, they apparently remastered the soundtrack. I am not enough of an audiophile to know or hear the differences, but I I will take them at their word <laughs> that they remastered the soundtrack. Um, Maybe the biggest change and most obvious change besides the graphics is they added this whole new mode called Prismatic Trials, which are these like single player challenge levels mm-hmm. uh, where they force you to play as a specific character. And it's just little little bespoke challenges that you do. Uh, they usually give you very weird and specific setups. I was just doing one the other day where uh, you have to play as pilot who he has a parachute mechanic. So if he presses L, he'll shoot up into the into the air and he'll slowly float back down, and you can shoot downwards while you're floating. Uh, it was a whole obstacle course where you're trying to float all the way down to the bottom as fast as you can while being chased by jellyfish through the air. <laughs> um, it was infuriating until I figured out a, a small mechanic I missed. Uh, they're super good. Uh, I was not expecting to like them as much as I do, but they really do a good job of teaching you how to play not only your specific character that you're doing in that challenge, but also how to use that specific ability that they are showing to you, because this is the fastest way to unlock. Um, yes. Most of the abilities in the game. Yes. Um, mo- most of the abilities you can unlock either by just playing the normal mode, uh, like a, doing certain things there or playing a certain amount of time or killing a certain amount of enemies. Uh, but if you want to just like dig in and start figuring out how to play the game, I would recommend, I think you have to play the game a certain amount of times before you unlock prismatic trials. I'm not sure what triggers it. Um, but the moment you have that open, I would suggest just digging in there and like really figuring stuff out. Uh, and then you'll also unlock cool new skins and, um, ability modifiers along the way. 
Yeah. I will say to their credit, like if you, if you just really don't care about doing stuff like that, or if you do find them maybe too challenging or something, a lot of the different unlocks in the game do have like kind of multiple paths. They mm-hmm. do have alternate functions. Like you can do the prismatic trial or you can just kill so many enemies or whatever. So, so I do appreciate that as well. Uh, you know, you, you, we touched on the different biomes and, and everything, and I do appreciate the fact that the backgrounds change and it does offer a decent amount of variety. Ultimately, the level design doesn't feel super different. Some of them have more ropes to grab onto, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, having a decent amount of, uh, of different level uh, backgrounds and styles is really nice. I will say, in addition to the power-ups and the abilities... There are a couple other things that may be hiding very secretly in some of these stages that are definitely worth going after. Uh, there are artifacts within the game that even even in and amongst everything that we've already talked about, I would say that the artifacts maybe can give you the most amount of variety when it comes to some of these runs because these artifacts, kind of like, like Skulls and Halo, can turn on can trigger like specific sweeping changes across the entire run that can give you an incredibly different experience so some of those are really worth going after as well yeah they're really neat uh a fan favorite is the one that just lets you choose what item you're grabbing so yes. instead of instead of a specific item coming out of a chest it just drops a box and then you click on that box and then you're able to select from any item like if a white item comes out, you just select from any unlocked white item you have uh, what you want. Uh, it's a really good way to like experiment with like builds, I guess, and just seeing what's possible uh, with the game. Uh, I don't recommend it for beginners uh, just because you won't even know what any of these items do anyway. So you might as well just kind of play without that on. But yeah, it's super fun to experiment with that. You can also mix and match the artifacts. So like uh, a fun one my wife and I always did was we turned we turned on um, no more chests or shrines, but enemies can randomly drop items. Yeah, yeah, I got that one. Uh, we would turn that on, and then we would turn on... Uh, there's one that makes all enemies elite, which you couple that with... <laughs> the, the, <laughs> there's like a 56-leaf clover or something item in the game you can get, and that gives enemy or uh, elites a chance to uh, drop items as well. So you combine those two things and like you can get so many more items. Your runs are going to start off a little bit harder. Well, yeah, a lot bit harder, I guess. <laughs> um, but if you can make it past the risk first, versus like, reward, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the I don't know. It's like emblematic of the whole game. It's kind of the whole game condensed into like one concept of like I'm changing all these modifiers and doing all this cool stuff and giving myself my own unique challenge and rule set. Oh, these games are really good. Yeah. Uh, I can't recommend them enough. Yeah. I will say it's not necessarily like a knock against the game or a criticism of the game. It's just the fact that this was kind of one of the progenitors as super early uh, indie roguelike game. And mm-hmm. as such, don't necessarily expect an expansive narrative from it. Right. There's a pretty cool opening cutscene and admittedly a fairly abrupt ending, but this is not a game that I would necessarily... Uh, recommend for its character depth or its really nuanced you know character arcs yeah there there is lore and 
I will be honest with you, across like again seven hundred hours of Risk of Rain one and two in returns, I don't think I've ever read a single <laughs> lore entry. <laughs> um, but the, it is there. I don't know how interesting it is, but yeah, it, it's definitely yeah, this is no Hades. If you're coming here for that, that is not what it what it's going to offer yeah. you. I will say that, like you talk about the the, the lore stuff, uh, when, when you see it on the game screen, the pixels and the sprites are a little condensed, and in some cases, it may be hard to get an idea of what you're looking at. I will say, to the game's credit, in the the different kind of lore extras encyclopedia version uh, mode of the game, they do have some really cool, like expansive sprites that give you a much better look at these characters in a very artistic way. So. Um, I appreciate the fact that those are in there. You get, a, you get a much better feel for kind of what these characters, the the presence these characters are supposed to have. So they may be like, you know, 10 pixels tall or something uh, adjacent to that on the game screen. But if you go into the encyclopedia, you can very much see them in kind of all their glory. The pixel art actually kind of reminds me a little bit of, a little bit of like Owlboy in terms uh. of its intricacy. Mm-hmm. but also in terms of kind of the, the crunchy grays and the, the sci-fi aesthetic kind of reminds me a little bit of Into the Breach, which is a game that we actually brought up a couple times playing the game this past weekend together. Yeah, I've still never played Into the Breach, but just from a pure aesthetic standpoint, yeah, I, I totally see what you're talking about. And yeah. uh, I do want to add on real quick to that. Uh, every time you beat the game with a character, you unlock like their lore entry or log entry. Yep. Uh, and it comes with like a unique piece of art and yep. the the art for beating the game with chef is very good it's just him <laughs> chopping like a giant radish uh, it's, that's it's amazing. pretty good <laughs> that's amazing uh yeah but this this game was so so fun so thank you so much for for recommending it to us Mathers. A lot of, there's certainly a lot of hours that you can possibly sink into this. And again, this is four player local or online, four player online co-op, ton of fun. You and I and Seth had a blast. Really, really glad that we were able to, to spend this time together this past weekend and, and play this game. So I guess, you know, that your, your trifecta has been complete. You know, weirdly (laughs) enough, uh, I actually own Hypnospace Outlaw physical now, uh, weirdly weirdly enough my physical copy of anodyne 2 is coming in this weekend oh wow and then i guess i kind of have to now at this point (laughs) if gearbox releases a physical version of risk of rain returns but i would absolutely pick it up after spending as much time within the game it's super fun and this is another one that you know if anybody wants to jump in with us at some point uh you know if we can get everybody together we can we can squad up i'm more than down to jump back into the planet and uh and you know just mess around and and bring the bad guys or whatever we do yeah just just kill stuff until it stops moving until the credits yeah, just, roll that's, that's exactly just just kill stuff until it stops moving until the credits roll yes but there's such a wonderful variety of ways to do that thank you again for for recommending it for this week's indie showcase matt and i want to make sure to, to point people in your direction mr master of the critical diversions you actually said you got some interesting stuff going on with that that i want to make sure the people hear about yeah, so I don't know if people remember, but a year ago, uh, me and my wife and some friends, uh, including Seth, uh, we put out a just a fan e-zine uh, about video games uh, called Critical Diversions that's free to read. Uh, you can get that off of the itch.io page. Uh, I don't know 
the the itch page off the top of my head but if you just go to either my twitter or the critical diversions twitter it's the pin tweet on both that's at shy guy city all one word or at crit underscore diversions uh so that after that uh i really wanted to write an issue too and it just it just hasn't happened yet so we started doing uh <laughs> we started doing a games club uh discord uh that also turned eventually into a podcast that we do i don't it, it depends on what we're playing but a, i don't know a couple times a month we get together and we have a podcast out for that i've also been putting out a solo games and news podcast uh under the critical diversions banner that is just me sitting at a computer talking to myself for an hour and a half every week and uh should be done next week but i have a critical diversions anniversary radio show that is going up uh it is going to be very stupid and good (laughs) Uh, if you like dumb dj drops from the 90s with austin powers quotes it you you might want to listen to it i guess i'm there But yeah, very much looking forward to that. When you when you release that, definitely let us know. We'll make sure to share that around. I'm very interested to check that out and see exactly how that comes together. But uh, yeah, definitely make sure to give our friend Matt uh, a follow. Check him out on Twitter, like he said, at Shy Guy City. Make sure to check out Critical Diversions. Like I said, he's got the, the podcast and he's got this uh, new fun pseudo spoof radio show coming up soon that i'm definitely going to be checking out but uh matt thank you so much for for joining me for for friendsgiving for part of your thanksgiving weekend to talk about risk of rain to talk about video games once again i really appreciate it and uh we we certainly appreciate the the support you know not just monetarily but uh you know morally and again you've been a fantastic (laughs) member of this community for for a very long time now well thanks i'm always glad to be uh called up to the front line for this (laughs) absolutely and uh i hope you have a great rest of your weekend matt and going on you know moving on with the show uh we have a very very special top five a very affection filled top five coming up with with another treasured member of our community and i can't wait for you guys to hear that so let's get right into that right now Man, it was great to be able to, you know, play some games with some really great friends this weekend. And I really hope you guys all enjoy yourselves this Friendsgiving weekend, this this Thanksgiving weekend. And in addition to all the food that I'm likely sure that you're all going to consume, there's one other big thing about this holiday. And that's, you know, the togetherness, the friends and families that you're going to spend time with and hopefully, you know, showing some affection towards. So in addition to all the food, I would say just as big a part of this holiday season is, again, just that that affection, that love that you're going to be showing to everybody around you, all of the, the warm, fuzzy hugs that you're going to be sharing. But unfortunately, I am an adult male, and therefore completely incapable of healthily expressing my affection to other human beings. So I have brought in an expert to help me. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to the show right now, Keeper of the Hugs All-In patron, Bowser. Hello, hello. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. Happy Thanksgiving, Bowser. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to everyone listening. 
Yes, yes. Super excited to have another one of our great friends here for this this Friendsgiving two-parter for this Thanksgiving episode. And Bowser, I would like you to tell the people what we're doing today for the top five. Well, like you said, it's the time of year for togetherness with the people we love. And what better way to celebrate that than with the top five hugs? <laughs> That's right. The top five hugs slash huggers in Nintendo history. So for this top five, Bowser and I are going to be counting down those instances and those characters that most exemplify that age old expression of affection, the hug, the embrace. And, you know, even going back, some of our examples are going to be going back fairly far. As long as it is explicitly expressed as a hug, as long as it is explicitly said to be a hug, it was fair game for us. And this one's going to be a lot of fun, Baz. I'm really looking forward to this one. I think there's going to be a, a very wide emotional birth. Uh, for this top five but uh, was it fun for you to kind of research and look back on this yeah it was a lot of fun I spent probably way too many hours watching old YouTube video clips or some of these games and things <laughs> so uh, apologies to my employer I may have <laughs> I may have watched a movie or two as well <laughs> I love it I um uh, I discovered, you know, I shared it with you. I discovered there's actually, or was, it seems like it's been inactive for a while, a, a Twitter page called uh, Hugs in Games. So that was fun to, to look back on and check out some of those. But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get into this. So starting off with my number five, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and get this one out of the way because unfortunately we all know that not every hug that's going to be given this weekend is going to be with genuine affection and, and genuine love. There will be a couple that are more aggressive. So with that in mind, not, my number five is Bear Hugger from the Punch-Out franchise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's maybe not as affectionate, but no, that not is indeed a hug. <laughs> not not quite as affectionate, and throughout the history of more combat-focused games and, and fighting games, there have been very uh, prolific purveyors of the bear hug. Street Fighter immediately comes to mind, characters like Zangief and E. Honda, and there's a lot of grapplers and a lot of grabbing grapple attacks throughout the history of games. Mike Hagar from Final Fight immediately comes to mind for me. But when I thought about this... Like there's a literal character in Punch Out named Bear Hugger, and his actual signature move is the Bear Hug. He first made his appearance in the arcade version of Super Punch Out, where even though he was just the second opponent you faced, his Bear Hug attack was actually a one-hit KO. Those arcades did not mess around back in the day. Yeah, uh, you had to be good at the games back then. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I never got the chance to play Super Punch-Out at the arcades, but I would have loved to have done it. My first exposure to Bear Hugger, which I'm sure is for most people, uh, the Super Nintendo version of Super Punch-Out. And we all, you know, I I think of Punch-Out, and honestly, Bear Hugger is one of the first opponents that comes to mind. That hillbilly-esque, that massive beard that probably has all manner of woodland creatures coming out of it. Those you know, overalls with no shirt look, this Canadian lumberjack. Uh, we're in the lore, actually. He did learn how to fight from a literal bear. Uh, and again, you know, his signature move is called the bear hug. So when it comes to when it comes to this type of hugs, I really didn't feel there was anybody better suited. And fun fact. Fun fact, the very few voice lines that Bear Hugger has in the Super Nintendo version of Super Punch-Out were voiced by Charles Martinet. Oh. Yeah, that's, know that. that's a fun fact for everybody here on this Thanksgiving episode. But he returned for the 2009 Punch-Out where he got upgraded to like the second to last enemy you faced he was several several circuits above the the second enemy in the game which is what he appeared first as but yeah bear hugger is is my number five a fun more aggressive arguably even violent hug to start the list but things are going to get a lot more warm and cuddly from here on out i think yeah i think so um speaking of bear hugs (laughs) my number five comes from a smaller game. I, I'm not sure everybody will know it, but uh, that's just a little bit of a game I on the Nintendo called Fortnite. <laughs> oh, oh, I've, I've not heard of this one. Could you <laughs> could you explain it to me, please, Bowser? Well, you get together with some friends and you run around and shoot people. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that where you would expect to see hugs? <laughs> exactly. Yes. It seems like such a foreign concept running around shooting in a video game. But yes, uh, pray tell, where does the hugging come in? There is an official bear hug emote and it's a two person emote. So gather up your friends and give hugs all around. That's great. I love that so much. Yeah. What better way to celebrate your victory royale than with a bear hug? So is was that uh, is that available as free content? Is that available to everybody? Was it a, a a microtransaction, or how do people get access to this this fabled bear hug in Fortnite? Uh, I think it's a V bucks purchase. Is it yeah. is the bear hug something you have done with many people in Fortnite? Not many people, but a couple. I don't but play a with a whole lot of people. Fair enough. You've you've got to be special to get the you've you know Bowser. You may be the keeper of the hugs, but that doesn't mean you just give them away willy nilly to anybody, right? That's true. Exactly. Exactly. You've got to be a very special person to get a Bowser hug. Uh, so do you do you play a lot of Fortnite or? Um, I haven't recently, but uh, my nephew was pretty big into Fortnite. And he thinks it's the coolest thing ever that his aunt <laughs> will play Fortnite with him because his parents don't game, his other aunt doesn't game. It's me. Just and you. I'm nice and compliment him, <laughs> and I don't yell at him the whole time, right? <laughs> but we have a rule. He likes to play in build mode. I said, "All right, we can play that way, but I'm going to put up like one wall, and then you got to put the rest around me, and then you take care of business, and then come save me." Oh, I. I- that's pretty nice. So you're yeah. typically like uh, you're you're a non-build 
person you like to play more guns focused? Yeah, I'm no good at the building. I just, I never took the time to learn it. And I don't know if I'll ever be as quick as these 10 to 12 year olds. That, I mean, that is, it sounds like a nice team, though. Like, you focus on the gunplay while your nephew focuses on building these impenetrable walls around you guys. Yep. Works out pretty well. Nice. You guys gotten some victory royales as a team? Oh, yeah. I definitely have more with him as my teammate than any other way of playing. Nice. Keep it in the family. That's what Thanksgiving's all about. Get some victory royales with the nephew. I love that. I'm sure you guys have shared a couple bear hug emotes together. Yep, we have. And it's a nice way to stay in touch with him. Uh, yeah. I live in Pennsylvania and he's in Texas. So we can just hop into a Fortnite match and hang out for a couple hours. Nice. How often do you guys get to play? Would you say about once a fortnight? Oh, maybe. I think so. <laughs> I apologize for that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible pun. I'm so sorry for that. Um, but yeah, for, you know, I haven't played much Fortnite. I may have to... I may actually have to to do something about that. But going into my number four, uh, you know, when it comes to Nintendo characters that I feel like would give the best hugs, there is one character that just head and shoulders stands above the rest. And that is, of course, the pink puffball Kirby. And I was surprised to find that in addition to the games and the videos and the media and everything that Nintendo has done, there's actually a series of children's books published by Nintendo. And one of them is called A Hug from Kirby. Well, that's definitely fitting into the category. It is it is absolutely adorable. It starts with Adeline, the painter from Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, talking about this idea called love. And she expresses this idea of love to Kirby with a nice big hug. And Kirby subsequently goes around trying to learn more about this concept by running around and just hugging every person everything every character that he can find and it is the most wholesome the most adorable thing i've maybe ever seen he hugs waddle d he hugs king ddd he goes underwater and hugs bloopers and it's like it, it honestly surprises me that Kirby is not shown to hug more often. But it was from this, again, children's book series called It's Kirby Time. That I believe there were seven of them. And Nintendo actually adapted them into little short vignette videos that came out over the past year. So these are videos up on Nintendo's YouTube channel that you can view right now. The sixth one in the series is entitled A Hug from Kirby. And... Again, it's just cuteness incarnate. It is just weaponized adorable. It is so cute. That sounds like something to put in my playlist for when I'm having a bad day. Yeah, it feels like it. It's nice and it's it's narrated. It's so nice just to watch these beautiful, almost like stop motion animatics of, of Kirby in crayon form running around hugging the entirety of Planet Popstar. Uh, just it it made me want to boot uh, made me want to boot up a new Kirby game. 
It's just, it's so cute. Exactly, Bowser, if you're having a bad day, put on a hug from Kirby, and I promise your bad day will end right there. That sounds a little more wholesome than when I was doing some research. There was some debate on the internet of whether Kirby Superstar, when you play co-op, of whether when you share the health pickups, whether uh-huh. you're getting a hug, or if Kirby's throwing up in your mouth. <laughs> I'm so Team Kiss. That one, that, I- that one kind of fell off my list when I saw that debate. <laughs> I'm, I'm team kiss actual, in that regard hug sounds better <laughs> i do too i much prefer that than thinking kirby is like some mama bird or something of that nature yeah. but uh yeah i've uh, i've definitely seen exactly what you're talking about but yes kirby is is just a a cute pink ball of fluff regardless of the the hug from Kirby video or the children's book, there is probably no Nintendo character that I would more like to give a hug to and more feel like I would just feel the inherent warmth and physical sunshine coming off of something than if I were to hug Kirby. Yeah, I agree with that one. He looks like the best hug. Well, my number four is pretty wholesome as well. I like to think. Um, it's from a game called Luigi's Mansion 3. There's a few hugs in this game. There are. The one I would like to point out is between Luigi and Polterpup. Oh, the good boy! The, the bestest boy. He is so good. I love it. Yeah, Polterpup. It, dog hugs are best hugs. They are the best hugs. And in this case, you know, you're, you do a little battle, you're trying to catch something and you fall off a ledge... Polterpup saves you right at the last second. So, of course, he gets the best hug. Yeah, best boy. You save him. Polterpup's like, you know what? I know what mortal injuries are like. I'm a ghost. I've suffered one myself. So I'm going to make sure that you don't deal with that, Luigi. And Luigi says, good boy, you deserve the best hugs. Yep. Polterpup is, I love Polterpup as a character. It's one of my, we did a, a top five of like the top five dogs, the top five good boys. And Polterpup was on my list. I love that character so much. I hope he, I hope he's a part of Luigi's story forever. Yeah, I agree. And even though maybe like a ghostly form, you wouldn't think would be a good hug, but I don't know. He just looks soft and squishy. Yeah, it's like it kind of reminds me of like Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's got those those cute ghost dog vibes. And I love it because Luigi, the the lovable coward, the fact that Polterpup is a ghost, there is a fun little dichotomy there of the coward and, you know, the spook specter demon dog as his companion. I do like that dichotomy as well. But um, like you said, there's there's a couple hugs in that game, one shared by the the brothers later on but yes if i had to choose between mario or polterpup i'd probably choose polterpup for the hug yeah uh what was your favorite part uh do you have a favorite floor in luigi's mansion oh i I don't know i'd have to go back and think about that i haven't touched it since it first came out yeah it's already been like four years it's already been a long been a while i've may have slept since then so <laughs> May have slept since then. Well, I mean, here Polterpup's first appearance, Dark Moon, is going to be coming to the Switch soon. I assume you're excited for that. Yep, it's definitely on my radar. 
Yeah, I played that on the 3DS. It's so good. It's really underrated. I think it flew under a lot of people's radar when it first came out because it was on the 3DS. The first one came out on GameCube. The second one came out on a handheld console, which I think may have may have kept it from getting more attention. But uh, I'm really glad that a lot of people are going to be experiencing that. And hey, you know, just another another game we get to spend with the goodest Ghost Boy. Best games. Best games. Well, going into my number three, talking about kind of an adorable ghostly white companion, as a matter of fact, my number three is from the Wii title, A Boy and His Blob, between the titular boy and, oddly enough, his blob. Uh, A Boy and His Blob was a Nintendo game that was remade on the Nintendo Wii by WayForward with this gorgeous hand-drawn art style. As a matter of fact, it was re-released on the Nintendo Switch. You can play it on the Switch now. It was brought forward by Ziggurat Interactive. Um, But it was this wonderful little puzzle game where you uh, feed this alien blob different flavor, different colored jelly beans, and the blob can turn into an entire manner of different things. Everything from a seesaw to a ladder to a ball to a fire hydrant to maybe even a mech later on in the game, it gets pretty wild. But the relationship that builds between this young boy and the blob is so incredibly wholesome and so incredibly endearing, so much so that they actually added a dedicated hug button to the game. That's the best. Every game needs a hug button. Just a hug, an entire button. The entire purpose of this button is to hug. That's it. <laughs> and th- there are a couple games out there that have stuff like this. Dropsy uh, immediately comes to mind. But I like I-, I like the use of it in this game because in this game, it's following you're following the boy and his blob. You're following these two characters for the entirety of the game. And you're watching the the relationship and the ties between these two characters build for the entirety of the game so much so that it just got to the point where after like every puzzle or every checkpoint, I felt obligated. Nay, I felt forced almost. There was something in my brain that says the blob needs another hug. He's done a good boy thing. Yeah. Did a good job. Helped me out of the situation. You get a hug. Exactly. Exactly. It's, fr- it's strange good- that I haven't played this game. Like, it seems absolutely right in my lane. I don't know. Maybe just I wasn't as tapped into gaming news back in the Wii days. <laughs> I really so. liked it. I I, uh, I finally got the chance to play it on the Nintendo Switch. And I do have a couple issues with the game at large. But the the hand-drawn art style that WayForward brought to this game is as beautiful as it was when it first came out on the Nintendo Wii. The personality that the young boy and the blob both show and the, again, just adorably wholesome animation that plays every time they hug each other is almost like like virtual, like video drug. <laughs> the best kind of drugs. Exactly. You just, you just look at that, you watch them hug, and you just want to watch it again. It's so cute. It's so wholesome. I love the fact. And it just speaks to the mentality of the game 
It did, despite the fact that the game, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend for young people. It can get fairly difficult, especially with the boss fights. But just uh, again, the the young boy and the blob and the incredibly wholesome, adorable relationship that they have throughout accentuated by the fact that you can hug at a moment's notice as often and as much as you want i agree with you more games need this yep and it sounds like i just need to pick this up on the switch it's good it's good not you know not a perfect game but i i did really enjoy my time with it uh in large part due to the adorable factor Well, speaking of things that are adorable, (laughs) my number three comes from the new Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh. So minor spoilers ahead. I'm assuming that most people listening to this Nintendo podcast have already seen the movie. But in Luigi fashion, he gets himself into a bit of a pickle. Of course, Mario has to save him. So there's a part in the movie where... uh, Tanuki Mario really, really saves Luigi's butt. <laughs> the best part is Luigi calls him out and says, why do you look like a bear? <laughs> so, of course, jokes aside, we get a beautiful hug. And yeah. then we, we can't stay and wallow in it. We got to go save the world. And off they go. I really like what Nintendo did with the brothers relationship in that movie because mario and company haven't had what we would call necessarily character development throughout much of their games not really narrative adventures but i really like the the dynamic that was created there was a lot of subtlety involved but i really like how the just how the movie portrayed the brothers you could tell that they would do anything for each other yeah i agree in the past, what do you know? Like, Luigi's a scaredy cat? That's about all we got? Yeah. <laughs> well, we know they're brothers. We know that Luigi's been the eternal player, too. But uh, I, I love the relationship in the movie. Mario clearly never sees Luigi as that. Luigi always, you know, he looks up to Mario. Maybe not physically, but, you know, proverbially, as uh, Mario is the older brother. And uh, it, it, it's very clear that... Uh, those two, those two real life bros would be there for each other in a heart. And it's such a, it's such a genuine hug. It's such a genuine hug. Yep. And I figured since I was going with this one for my number three, Mm -hmm. I definitely had to give it to the polder pup for the number four spot. That's fair. That's fair. There was also a Luigi and Mario hug in, in Luigi's mansion three, but I do feel like the movie version of that hug does trump the Luigi's mansion three hug. It was a very, very good hug. The hug in Luigi's Mansion 3, I felt like, was maybe a little bit too brief, and they had to get to the the final boss. But, uh, yeah, it was a very, very touching, heartfelt moment because, I mean, we've already said minor spoilers, so uh, the, the brothers do spend a bit of time apart. It's not like they were just away from each other for five minutes. So it is it is a bit of a catharsis. It is a bit of a moment when they reunite. Yes, and he was very close to very bad things happening. Yes. <laughs> if he had not been saved right at that yeah. moment. Yes, very bad things would have happened. Suffice bad enough that that Luma would have been very happy with it, I yes. think. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> That Luma was low-key like the best character in the entire movie, though. I but, think uh, I would take a hug from the Luma. 
You would take a hook from me? <laughs> I wonder what the Luma would even say during probably the Probably something I don't want to hear, but it would be said with that beautiful voice. Yeah. It's just kind of calming, even if it's telling you that you're about to die. Eh, yeah. I'll take it. It's weird, but you know, a hug's a hug, even if it is from a beautifully doomsaying star creature thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what'd you think of the movie at large? Did you like it? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. I can't count how many times I've watched it. Uh, yeah, it's it's really, really good. I'm so happy that, you know, the, the people behind the movie it really felt like they were trying to do right by the people who turned Mario into this kind of world conquering IP. They turned Mario into what it's become. It felt like the people behind the film wanted to do right by the fans and... I mean, we certainly got enough fan service. We certainly got enough characters. We certainly got enough reasons to smile from that. And the hug between Mario and Luigi, I think, was just one great moment in and amongst a ton of amazing ones. Yeah, and especially considering their past with movies. You know, there's a little bit tentative going in here. I don't know. I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. But each trailer, well, they had me hooked each time. Oh, I hope it pays off. And it certainly did. Yeah. Can't wait for the next one. I know we're getting it. Cannot wait for the next one. Hopefully we get a few more wholesome hugs thrown in there. Um, But speaking of, you know, the Mario universe and hugs, my number two is ironically enough from a game that we just got as a remake. And that is from Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, Peach's Group Hug. Uh, I like the sound of a group hug. Yeah, I mean, a group hug is fantastic. But within the game, what it actually does is group hug is a full party heal. It is a cure-all. In addition to restoring HP, it also cures your entire party of all of their status ailments. It's I love frank- when games do that. It's like, make it something that really I could see in real life. A group hug would cure me of all my ailments. Yeah, yeah. Healing hugs aren't, you know, completely uh, unheard of within the world of video games. As a matter of fact, a game called Haven that we featured on an indie showcase, I think last year for Valentine's Day, a game called Haven has healing hugs and even has an achievement for giving one. But when it comes to healing hugs, I really feel like Peach takes the proverbial cake and we all know how much Peach loves cake. Uh, (laughs) It is. This is true, by the way. When that game came out in 1996, I had a subscription to Nintendo Power. And of all the weird memories that I still have from my childhood, the few memories that I still have from my childhood, I vividly remember, I expressly remember that during the year-end issue of Nintendo Power, they named Group Hug as one of the best moves of the year. And it absolutely was because in Mario RPG, it's your only group heal ability unless you want to just start burning through items. It's the only uh, it's the only thing that heals more than one party member at a time. And in addition to that, it heals HP and status ailments. Like I said, it, it made Peach an absolute necessity on your party. Uh, you can't trade Mario out for anybody. And... Uh, Like you basically had to have Peach just because of group hugs. So most parties in the game, once you got her a little bit more than halfway in the title, uh, once you got her was basically Mario, Peach, 
and then your third character, Malo, Bowser, or Gino. But you had Peach in your party because of group hug. It was that much of a game changer. Uh, one of the best healing moves in the history of, of RPGs. Mario RPG wasn't really super difficult. And admittedly, you know, the ability to almost completely heal your party with four uh, with four magic points or flower points, as they say, with four magic points and one attack and do a, a full party heal. That's that's a pretty potent hug. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play this yet. So that sounds like something I'm definitely going to have to watch out for. Peach is great. I, I love Peach. You can get a frying pan for her in the game. She actually has a a magic spell where she literally throws an entire like bag's worth of bombs at at opponents, and it's it's great. I love I love having Mario, Peach, and Bowser on the party because there's just something weird about that trio. And oddly enough, they introduced group attacks in the remake, and they have a weirdly great group attack between the three of them. But uh, yeah, Peach's group hug is an all-timer RPG maneuver and again made Peach an indispensable member of the party in the original version of the game and even now here in the remake, uh, Girl Power. Yeah, you love to see it. You love to see Peach having that vital of a role. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, staying with our big name franchises in Nintendo, my number two is going to go to Zelda and Link in The Breath of the Wild. Nice. So the particular moment I'm thinking of is one of the memories. And in this memory, Zelda's very upset. She's seeing that the guardians and divine beasts and everything has turned on them. And she's sad and upset with herself. She feels like a failure to the whole kingdom. And she's having a breakdown. She's having her moment. And of course, Link being the the silent type, the strong silent one, he just holds her. Just a nice, warm, loving embrace. And don't we all need someone in our lives that will just listen to us when we have our moment and hold us? How wholesome is that? Yeah. There's been some good hugs in the history of Legend of Zelda, but yeah, that's like there was a reason that they... That, that they had that kind of embrace in a lot of the media and a lot of the trailers and, you know, Zelda just kind of breaking. I, I think I know which memory you're talking about. And even though Link is a silent protagonist, you can really tell in that moment, like how much he truly cares for Zelda. Yeah, he doesn't often express things clearly, but in this moment, you <laughs> no. can really tell. <laughs> yeah, Link, not the most expressive character, but... A nice big, uh, just everybody, even, you know, even Link understands the magical power of a healing hug. Yep. And just listening. Yeah, just We don't all need answers to our problems at all times. Sometimes we just want to let it out. Great. Good call. Good call. Uh, But before we go into our respective number ones, did you have any honorable mentions? Well, first, I'm going to start off with what I'm going to call a dishonorable mention. Oh, we the first dishonorable, I think it's the first dishonorable mention in all in history. Hit me. Animal Crossing New Horizons. Why can I not hug my villagers? Why, Nintendo? Why? Why? Oh, we, have, my. 
We have all of these fun reaction things. We can dance and wave and scare people. Why can't we give them a hug? Sometimes these villagers are fighting with each other. I'd like to give them a hug. Yes! Sometimes I'm having a bad day. I'd like to get a hug. Why not? Yes! You of can't all put the all games. these cute characters the... in front of me and not let me hug them. Of all the Nintendo games that need that hug button from a boy in his blob, of all the Nintendo, why does that not exist in Animal Crossing yet? I'll never understand it. Somebody start a petition. Bowser, I think you <laughs> should start a petition. We need to get, I don't care if Nintendo thinks they're done patching content into New Horizons. Give us a hug option, Nintendo. That is, that is kind of baffling that you can't do that. Yeah, super wholesome game. Can't hug. No hug. What's going on? Do you have any other honorable mentions? I do have one more honorable mention this time. And that goes out to my dear friend, Seth. Seth! You may not know this, listeners, but Seth gives a pretty good hug. I was yes. fortunate enough to receive one uh, up in New York a couple weeks ago. We got together for Extra Life to raise money for the kids. What a wonderful time with wonderful people and lots of good hugs. Lots of good hugs. I love that. So uh, what was your, I'll just, you know, very quickly, I'm, ex- I'm interested to hear, you know, what you were able to do and what your experience was up in New York during, uh, during that extra life extravaganza with Carpool. It was super fun. Like I was there last year and that was fun, but I was kind of newer to the community. I hadn't been as active in that discord. So like for the last year, I've really been active. So I met a lot more people virtually. And now we went up, uh, I got there Thursday evening and watched them record the Nintendo Drive live in person. And the next day they did the Xbox Drive. And then Seth hosted a fabulous D&D session, which is up on YouTube. Nice. Potions for Pete. I just happened to be wearing the shirt that we made for that. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. Yes. So I keep Pete close to my heart. But then the actual event was just phenomenal. We had couches and love seats set up, microphones everywhere, just sitting there playing games, having fun together. You can't beat it. Beautiful. I would recommend everyone go if they can. 10 out of 10 would recommend, would do again. Yes, would do again, have done again, will do again, all of that. Yes. Uh, for, for potential future Seth hugs and potential future Bowser hugs, everybody right. should be, should be interested in, uh, in doing that in the future. So I'm glad, glad you guys got to, to hang out up there. Glad you guys got to exchange some powerfully wholesome hugs together up there in New York. Seth is a, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Seth is a good hugger. Very much so. <laughs> so did you uh, have any honorable mentions? Well, I mean, for me, I mentioned a couple of them. Dropsy, uh, Spiritfarer, I think, is is absolutely an honorable mention. I still need to play that, but I know that, you know, hugs are a, a big part of that. Uh, Haven, I've already mentioned, uh, but I think going into to our number ones, our respective number ones, you know, we've had a lot of fun, but uh, uh, I think it may be time to get the tissues out here for a second, Bowser. I think you might uh, be right. Yeah, going into my number one is Lee Everett and Clementine from Telltale's The Walking Dead Season 1. And I didn't initially have this as 
my number one. But like you, I did a lot of research. I went back and looked at, you know, in addition to everything I've mentioned, I've looked at, you know, I, I feel like all the hugs that have ever been given in the history of not just Nintendo, but video games. And uh, like if some of these, I even went back and, and experienced personally, like with Bear Hugger and Peach's group hug and uh, a boy and his blob. But of all of them, there's only one that's made me cry. Yeah. And there's only one that still makes me cry. Because when I was researching this and looking all this up and I looked up the Lee and Clementine stuff, it still makes me cry to this day. Even just looking back on it, I was like, I, I, I've got to put that as my number one. It's, it's, it's it amazing. It feels weird to say it, but I love games that hit me that emotionally hard (laughs) yeah i mean it gets you to care about it and that was one of the things that telltale was so amazing about especially in the 2010s they became you know world renowned for their narratives and their writing and the performances of these characters the gameplay itself wasn't necessarily super deep or nuanced but like you knew going into a telltale game that what the game was going to make you do is it was just going to barrage you with these Sophie's choice type decisions. It was going to make you care about the characters and then it was going to force you to make impossible choices and maybe, maybe never more so than the walking dead season one, which I still feel like to this day is telltale's masterpiece. Uh, even with all the different IP they've worked with, like Game of Thrones and, you know, even some of the weirder stuff like Jurassic Park and Back to the Future. Uh, but the Walking Dead stuff, and especially season one with Lee Everett and Clementine, the relationship that they built as a surrogate father and daughter. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil too much of what happens to them, but suffice it to say that they share several hugs throughout the course of the story. And you feel each and every one of them, like in your soul, you feel the need for Clem to be comforted, to be consoled. You feel the need for Lee to be able to, to console this young girl that he considers his daughter. Now you feel the need for both of them to be able to escape this world they care and love so much about each other and the fact that they're constantly having to go through all of this is just in just perpetually heartbreaking and you know every time that they hug that the world is not going to be okay that things are not going to be okay but every hug is just a momentary escape just for that second everything is okay like there is a shield around them like when they're hugging there's they're just protected in some intangible way almost as if you can both you you can tell that they both just want that moment to live forever that if they could just live in that moment forever they absolutely would because once it ends they've got to go back to the horror that is the rest of their life and that's why the hugs mean so much you care about the characters and you want them to escape this horrific situation that they're in the game the writing the performances all deeply 
deeply invest you in these characters' journeys. And it hits so hard because you're the person pulling the strings. You're trying to do everything you can to keep bad things from happening to them, even though as the player, you know bad things are going to keep happening to them. But it's just it's just masterful, masterful storytelling. And one of the best tandems one of the best character relationships, one of the best dynamics in the history of the medium, again, still makes me cry to this day. Wow. That's one that I haven't played as well, but just knowing Telltale Games and exactly, emotions yeah. they have a tendency to bring out. Yeah, you know, uh, Telltale did several seasons of the Walking Dead series, and Clem was there for minor spoilers i apologize but clem was there for uh all of them uh but even still you know the relation the relationship with lee was so strong that you i still feel like you can't bring up clementine without also mentioning lee in the same breath so kind of tied together where those characters arcs and there's even a a heartbreakingly beautiful callback in the final season that also man it was also hard to watch from an emotional standpoint just again just absolutely beautiful yeah it's like those story games man yeah like you said the ones that your decisions really change the course of events those those can really put you through the ringer yeah absolutely but Okay, I'm trying to emotionally prepare myself for your number one because I know that we're not we're not out of the, the emotional woods yet. Yeah, we're not done yet. Um, my number one comes from Celeste. That's so good. Oh, now before I get called out in the Discord by Shy Guy, I have not <laughs> finished the game, <laughs> and he knows this. So, <laughs> well, I mean, like. Do you, you, a guy that can beat Celeste in under an hour. Like he's almost sub 50 minutes. Like nobody's like shy guy. He could call anybody out. I feel like at this point, stop, stop showing off in the discord shy guy. <laughs> but also the most encouraging person for anyone else that wants to try and play this game. Yes. Shy guy's the guy. Thank you. Shy guy. But I have made it to the encounter with Madeline and part of you or Madeline. Yeah. But anyone who's made it through the game, or like me, has watched other people play through the whole game, there comes a point where you reconcile with that part of you. And you have a nice, beautiful hug. This whole time, you've been fighting with each other, being chased, chasing. And now we're going to join together and climb the mountain. So I know a lot of people can see different things in that part of you you know it might be your self-doubt that always creeps up or you know your depressed self your anxious self any of these things I think it hits everyone just a little bit differently but in the end you realize you need all parts of you to be able to take on the world you can't do it with just the happy parts the happy parts wouldn't be as happy without the sad parts you got to have everything and that's what this hug signifies you're joining together and you can take on the world together. Yeah. Celeste is one of the most potent and I think best representations 
of mental health and and dealing with that at a personal level in the history of this medium and a big part of that was the use of this battling character uh but finally being able to reconcile with a part of yourself that you might not find as attractive um and and being able to take that journey and being able to come to that kind of not even catharsis, but being able to come to somewhat of an understanding with that part of yourself. Uh, and especially the, the back and forth between the two characters, it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly well done. And when they finally embrace, like it's a truly special moment in the history of video games. Yeah. Before I played this game, you know, I'd heard people talking about how emotional it is. And, yeah. You know, you watch people play the game and you see them die 10,000 times on the exactly. same it's screen. Like, it's not like, emotional. It's just rage I mean, quitting. Yeah, I would rage quit perhaps. That's an emotion, but I'm not seeing, you know, why is this game moving people in this way? And it doesn't take very long into the game for you to start seeing some of these little interactions and say, oh, I can see where this is coming from now. Yeah. Definitely yeah, not Celeste, the type of game you would expect to have that emotional impact. Yeah. Celeste is, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's required reading if, if you're a video gamer. And I know it's difficult, and I know it can be kind of daunting, but trust me, you can yeah, do this. Yeah, and they do have assist you can turn on. Yeah. Know, I'm trying not to do that, but I also won't get to the point of completely rage quitting. I will yeah. turn them on because this is a special game. But I want it, it to have at least enough of a challenge so that you, it hits the right way. You can do this, Bowser. Yeah, just Good a little vibes. bit at you a time. Do just do like one chapter a week, maybe. Then <laughs> I won't get too angry. <laughs> but it's hey. also one of those games where you need to like stick with it. Because, you know, I've been off of it for a couple of months now. I'm yeah. going to have to relearn, get my muscle memory back. It would be better if I stuck with it and did a little bit each night. Well, you got to reconcile with that part of yourself, but you can do this. I can do but, this. Uh, you can do this. Absolutely. Uh, so very quickly, let's go back over our lists one last time. For me, my number five is Bear Hugger from Punch-Out. And my number five is the Bear Hug emote in Fortnite. <laughs> my number four is the wonderful A Hug from Kirby book and video. My number four is Luigi and Polterpup in Luigi's Mansion 3. Good boy. Good boy. Best My boy. number three is A Boy and His Blob from A Boy and His Blob. <laughs> My number three is Mario and Luigi in the new Super Mario Brothers movie. My number two is Peach's Group Hug from Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. And My number two is Zelda and Link in Breath of the Wild. And my number one is Lee Everett and Clementine from Telltale's The Walking Dead Season 1, narrative masterpiece. And my number one is Madeline and Madeline from Celeste. Perfect. Beautiful. Ah, I, f I feel so wholesome. I feel I so... I, I need feel to so... go watch that Hug from Kirby video. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Again, if you're ever having a bad day, if you ever want to rage quit Celeste, just go, just go get a virtual hug from Kirby. It'll make everything much, much better. But, uh, again, uh, it was, 
clear that you were absolutely the right person to bring in for this incredibly special Thanksgiving top five, counting down the top five huggers, the top five hugs in Nintendo history. Bowser, thank you so much for joining me for Friendsgiving part two. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm very happy to be a part of this one. Greg, got any big plans for the weekend? Lots of video games. I don't know if people <laughs> saw in the Discord, but uh, my husband and I treated ourselves to an early Christmas present of dual stacked 65-inch TVs in the living room. So oh. there's a lot of video games in my new future. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Looking forward to pictures, looking forward to videos. Any Any games that are immediately on the docket? Yeah, so as part of Carpool Gaming, we have kind of a movement happening over there. Mm-hmm. And it's called Xenobabes. <laughs> there's a whole group of us. Most of us are doing Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Some other people are doing 1 and 2, but the majority is starting out with Part 3, and I am into it. I'm about six hours into the game. I'd never played it before. It's phenomenal so far. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to be glued to that this weekend. Yeah, be careful. Xenoblade will eat a, an entire month without you even noticing. So just be careful, but it is a phenomenal game. It's a phenomenal series. Yeah. I'm already looking at sales on one and two. So (laughs) 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 nice. Well, thank you once again for uh, joining me, Bowser and uh, happy Thanksgiving. And I hope you and your husband enjoy your 65 inch tandem TVs. And I hope you enjoy uh, a very gaming holiday season. Well, thank you. And happy Thanksgiving to you. Awesome. Uh, and this this has been such a special episode, folks. I'm glad that you guys wanted to, to share part of your Thanksgiving weekend with me. And, you know, it, we wanted to try to do something special for it being the Thanksgiving episode, but something incredibly special happened this week anyway. The 25th anniversary of one of the greatest video games of all time. And I have another great friend coming in for a fantastic all-in retrospective. So yes, and as we come to the end of of Friendsgiving, we're coming into the Thanksgiving weekend. I'm I'm absolutely thankful for so many things for all of the awesome friends, community members who have come and you know spent some time with me on this show. And I've got to say, I'm also thankful for a certain uh, potential greatest game of all time that mind-blowingly came out 25 years ago this week what a staggering herculean task i see laid before me so i enlisted some amazing help i have the perfect person to come in and help me tackle this mammoth retrospective please ladies and gentlemen help me welcome from retro groove adam wow what an what an intro i don't know if i can live up to that uh that intro. <laughs> uh, but thank you. I'm, I'm just honestly flattered to uh, be invited. Um, and yeah. Welcome. Ready, ready to talk about some, uh, some Zelda. Cause it's, it's the best. It, it, it is indeed the best. You and I are certainly gamers of a, a certain age. You and I remember when that game came out two and a half decades ago. It's uh mm. 
kind of um, sobering to think about how long it's been. But yeah, it's surreal. <laughs> <laughs> but congratulations on two and a half decades to objectively one of the greatest games ever made. And honestly, the, even the thought of doing a retrospective of this scale might just seem redundant. But the story of this game, I think, is incredibly interesting from the development to the influence to the time period where it came out. Sure enough, you know, Ocarina of Time is good is essentially the water is wet of Nintendo history. We're not going to sit up here and tell anybody anything they don't know by, you know, by telling people all the critical acclaim and all the accolades and everything that the game has had. But Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes and a lot of stuff that kind of revolves around this game that I absolutely think is worth getting into. And once again, Adam, thank you so much for for joining me on this journey. I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. Yeah, no, honestly, thank you for having me. Uh, so The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time came out November 21st, 1998 in Japan, two days later in America, and would come out the rest of the world the following month. And very quickly was, you know, in everybody's mouths as the greatest game ever made. But I think a lot of people forget the the time period that kind of led up to the release of Ocarina of Time because going into late 1998, it was, it was a weird time for Nintendo because... Yeah. I mean, we sit back and and look at the Nintendo 64 catalog now, but you have to look at it in terms of the the release dates and in terms of the catalog as a living, breathing console cycle. We got Super Mario 64 and Wave Race 64 at launch of the Nintendo 64 back in 1996, over two years prior. Mm -hmm. But in in the following two years... I mean, sure, yes, we got Mario Kart 64. We got uh, a fun little novelty with the Rumble Pack included Star Fox 64. And we got the underperforming Yoshi story. But like for two years, that was kind of it. A lot of people don't realize the landscape of the Nintendo 64 when Ocarina of Time came out. The first Mario Party hadn't come out yet. Smash Brothers hadn't come out yet. Donkey Kong 64, Mario Tennis, Mario Golf, Paper Mario hadn't come out yet. There were yeah. so many, like the first Pokemon spin-off, the first Pokemon spin-off hadn't come out yet. We didn't have Snap or Stadium, much less Stadium 2. So it was, there were a lot of eyes on Nintendo at this time, especially considering they were going up against this this company now with PlayStation, the new upstarts, yeah. the new kid on the block that seemed like they were churning out classics every other week. You had the previous year, 1997, obviously a little game called Final Fantasy VII dropped. But just in mm. 1998, you had the Tomb Raider trilogy finish up. You had the Crash Bandicoot trilogy, Metal Gear Solid, Spyro the Dragon. It just felt like this deluge of amazing games and Nintendo felt like it was really falling behind. Didn't it, Adam? Yeah, it was a really interesting time because I don't know if it was the transition to 3D. I don't know if it was a console that was just more difficult to develop games for. I don't know exactly what it, maybe it was a little bit of everything combined, but 
yeah, like you said, in retrospect, it's it's hard to put yourself back there and remember this was a this was sort of a slow going release pace, yeah. uh, at least for those first two, two and a half years or so of the console. And um, yeah, and PlayStation was just an absolute juggernaut. I mean, everybody, all of my friends had a PlayStation and there was only kind of a small handful of us that had I didn't even have a 64 that it was my brothers like I I have yeah. Dan to thank for you know <laughs> asking for the 60 I was still trying to make do shout with out my, to Dan how you doing yeah, Dan Dan is Dan is uh I have Dan to thank for quite a bit I was as much of a Nintendo fan as I am now and as much as the NES was my my bread and butter what I cut my teeth on as a gamer as a kid mm-hmm. it was my first console I, because of my circle of friends, I ended up kind of switching over to the Sega side for the 16-bit era. I got a Genesis, and then I ended up uh, getting a Sega CD, and I was kind of trucking along with with that side of things. And honestly, you know, being a little bit disappointed with my Sega CD, not a whole (laughs) lot of, you know, not a whole lot of great or memorable games on that system. No offense to the Sega apologists, but it, it just wasn't what it was promised to be. And, you know, along comes the N64 and my brother gets one and one of my best friends got one. And I was like, oh, this is okay. All right. This is what the next generation of gaming is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all pretty much everybody, uh, everybody else had uh, had a PlayStation. So you had this kind of really interesting dichotomy going on. You had Nintendo with the long history, you know, not quite as long as it is now, of course, but uh, (laughs) with the huge success of the NES, everybody had an NES. Everything was a Nintendo back then. (laughs) And uh, the Super Nintendo was a massive success, of course. But uh, this was a really interesting time. And, you know, a lot of the kids in my age group, you know, by that time, I was, gosh, uh, I was 14, 15. So at that age, you want to do what the cool kids are doing. And the perspective was that all the cool kids switched over to PlayStation. Yeah. So, you know, it was just it was just a weird time to be. And I was still a Nintendo fan, of course, but I was just kind of a fan of gaming in general. Um, and Final Fantasy seven, as you mentioned, it blew my mind. Yep. Um, but, you know, we hadn't had a Zelda game in so long. And uh, there was just kind of rumblings of this new, enormous Zelda adventure on the horizon. But it seemed like it was it was promised. But it, it seemed was, like a perpetual horizon. Yes, it was like it, it's coming. We promise it's coming eventually. And it was it seemed just like forever, just like when you're a kid waiting for Christmas morning and it's this weeks and weeks away and it feels like an eternity waiting for <laughs> it to happen. So the landscape was very weird for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I love Nintendo. I did, but I was kind of the same way. You had so many games coming out like Rayman and uh, just again in 1998, a couple more. Medieval came out in 1998. Uh, Marvel mm-hmm. vs. Capcom. Uh, the arcade port of Marvel vs. Capcom hit the PlayStation in 98. Street Fighter Alpha 3 hit the PlayStation in 1998. All of these things, all of these really good and, and many of them classic games were coming to Sony's yeah. console while Nintendo was... 
you know, it felt like from an outsider's perspective, just kind of twiddling their thumbs. Now, of course, behind the scenes, there, there was a lot of stuff going on. Right. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was originally slated to be released for the Nintendo 64 disk drive. It was actually mm. being worked on. It was originally shown off back in 1995. And, you know, it was wow. being made concurrently with Mario Kart and with, with Mario 64. Mario 64 hit its release window because it was planned to be a launch title. Right. And then we got Mario Kart 64 the following year. Uh, and uh, pre- uh, reportedly, uh, Ocarina of Time was supposed to hit a year prior. It was actually supposed to hit holiday 1997. Mm-hmm. But because of its size, they had to move it over to physical cartridge media. All of a sudden, the this Nintendo 64 disk drive that Nintendo was really, really trying to make a thing was slowly proving itself to be not a thing. Yeah. And it was, you know, the, the reported difficulties with having Zelda on the disk drive make me wonder... Because we've we've just talked about kind of the the drought of first party Nintendo releases for the first couple of years. The Nintendo sixty four was a very back heavy console. Yes. Uh, the the past the last few years of the Nintendo sixty four, we got all those games. We got all three of those Mario parties and and Paper Mario and Kirby sixty four, the Crystal Shards, and two Zelda games, and you know all of this other stuff. Multiple Mario sports games. So yeah. I wonder like how much. Nintendo was really trying to to ride this Nintendo 64 disk drive thing before they just had to kind of get rid of it because, you know, the drought mm-hmm. for the first couple of years, the games that came out were good for the most part. Yoshi's yeah. Story underperformed, but uh, Mario Kart obviously is still a classic. Yeah. Uh, Star Fox 64 is still really good, although they presented it as kind of a novelty with the Rumble Pack, which admittedly all of us kids back in the day thought was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And now Rumble is an absolute like is, industry standard. Yeah, so. absolutely everywhere. But, you know, Nintendo really needed once they kind of got away from the Nintendo 64 DD stuff, they slowly moved away from, but they really needed a, a massive, massive hit. And they knew that going into The Legend of Zelda, they knew that this was one of their marquee franchises. I mean, it still is. I mean, Xbox and PlayStation tweet out when a new Zelda game comes out. It's just got that kind of name recognition. Now, yeah. in large part due to the consistent excellence uh, of the franchise over the years, right. and Ocarina of Time is certainly a major part of that. But Nintendo absolutely needed a hit. And I think the development process of this game is also really unique because there are like there's actually five different people listed as the game's directors, uh, including a couple guys named Ijiao Numa and Yoshiaki Koizumi, a couple guys that you may have heard of Mm -hmm. uh, with the franchise. But uh, obviously... Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto uh, was producer and uh, Mm -hmm. Koji Kondo you know it was was kind of an all-star team putting this game together but you know you know moving it from the disk drive moving it over to to the physical media where it became at the time the biggest Nintendo game ever I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for a lot of the different decisions that had yeah. to have been made 
for this yeah. game because you know you look up the development and there's some really interesting you know kind of first draft plans that didn't come to fruition apparently right. the game was initially supposed to be in first person yeah and that was shigeru miyamoto's idea from yep. from my understanding is that other than the combat he wanted the you know zelda has always kind of been about immersion and even the name link comes from the idea that this this avatar is a link between the player and the world uh, which is what you're really interacting with. Are you trying to this, say it's a link between worlds? It is. And that's <laughs> that's the idea. That's kind of the whole concept, which is it's amazing. And um <clears throat> in, and not to get too off track, but it's so interesting to look back at the original Legend of Zelda, which was a uh if I'm not mistaken, originally a a Famicom disc system game in Japan which is another disc peripheral that we never got in the States. Yep. Um, and then um, I don't think that a link to the past was necessarily planned for this uh, disc based system add on that was in the works with Sony. And in fact, you can even find uh, images of the Nintendo PlayStation, which was yeah. going to be a collaboration with Nintendo and Sony on a disc based system, which you know, that deal fell through and Sony said, well, well, screw it. We'll make our own game console. <laughs> and then again, a thir third time in a row, you've got this disc based system or this disc based peripheral, I should say. Um, and it, it never ended up coming to fruition, at least uh, in the States. We, they got the disc system in Japan. Um, but you have to imagine that transferring that from the 64 dd yep. to just a, a cartridge to be released that had to be a daunting task in and of itself um it's it's something that i'm sure delayed the inevitable release of the game and you know made it all that much more of a massive undertaking to to get this game released i do really i am very intrigued by this idea of having like nearly half a dozen directors. And then Shigeru yeah. Miyamoto is kind of the, the Uber director, the executive producer, the, you know, the king of directors, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think you, you've you, got different directors kind of covering different aspects of the game. Exactly. Is yeah. What it comes down to, you've got like an overworld system, and scenario and yeah. Yep. You got a cinematics going on. You've got uh, the, the, the dungeons and so there's different systems within the game that you know you can save a lot of time if you have different teams kind of working on these things concurrently but but more or less separately um so that's probably where that stems from but it is that you know that's probably not easy to do because while you're maybe working on different systems within the game you still have to very much be you know, working together to have the overall vision and uh, outcome of the game be coherent and connected. Uh, I can't imagine that kind of collaboration. It's just insane to me. So, yeah. And, you know, just trying to think of, of different ways to vary the gameplay up, because obviously in Ocarina of Time, they have kind of their own version of the dark world from link to the past, mm -hmm. uh, you know, very famously in link to the past, 
uh, you get about 40% of the way through. And then all of a sudden you discover this entire other world. Something very similar happens in Ocarina of Time. Right. And I guess that was actually kind of the onus behind making the game third person was to better illustrate the whole idea of one time versus another young link versus old link. I guess that was the idea that kind of, at least in Miyamoto's mind, kind of can the idea of making it full first person. I will say, especially playing it for the first time when it came out, having this third person game, but going into first person mode for like manual aiming and the hook shot and stuff like Mm -hmm. that was so cool and such a great idea. Yeah. That was so, so good. Love that. In addition to, uh, but in addition to that, like all of these really cool ideas, that's, that's another one of the things that gets me about the design of this game is, a lot of the design fundamentals we still see nearly untouched in the franchise uh, a quarter century later. This idea of you could do manual aiming, but at the same time, if you wanted to do like Z-targeting aiming, you can do either one of those. And the right. entire idea of the Z-targeting system in general was, I mean, it seems like such an easy and obvious idea, but just this idea of locking on to somebody within a three-dimensional space is essentially a foundational aspect of 3D adventure games at this point. And oh, just yeah. one of the small things that that the Legend of Zelda franchise can lay claim to pioneering. Well, it was revolutionary at the time. That I don't, yeah. I'm sure someone could prove me wrong and point to an earlier game that had a similar uh, feature, but you know, there was nothing that I knew of that had anything like that. And yeah, there are so many things that they had to consider jumping into the third dimension that it was just, this was uncharted territory, pretty much all of this had to be figured out. And they learned a lot from Mario 64 with, oh, yeah. you know, some, some complaints about the camera system and uh, and other, you know, kind of growing pains going from 2D to 3D in these well-established franchises that, you know, you don't want to you don't want to screw it up and make something uh, difficult or cumbersome to play. And um, they, they nailed so much of the transition to 3D. I, I can't think of a better transition from a 2d franchise into 3d than ocarina of time and obviously there is some criticism there of oh well this is just you know ocarina of time with a prettier coat of paint or higher resolution and okay but it's it they nailed it so on the mark that you cannot blame them for sticking to a formula that was an absolute knockout of the park. And, you know, just trying to bring any franchise into a a brand new era of gaming. You know, this was uh, essentially the past and the future of the games industry. And Nintendo was there basically trying to figure out the transition, trying to figure out how to exist in this new, because it's... (laughs) You, you can very easily divide the gaming industry before 
this you know 3d conversion and after this 3d conversion because it's right. not like we've had to shift to a fourth dimension of gaming design right <laughs> since games like that have come out i'm not even you know, sure what that would look like but yeah exactly <laughs> so so nintendo really wasn't even just trying to develop a game they were trying to I know this is going to sound incredibly hyperbolic. They were essentially trying to create a foundation for the entire future of the industry. No, um, it's very true. Very true. You, you look at a lot of the little things that they did, the, the camera uh, work. I, I get considering the, the, the Nintendo 64 controller layout, how trying to give people more camera control with the rudimentary understanding we had of 3d technology. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. And in retrospect and with the age that the game has on it, that's probably the biggest knock against it. But other than that, if you boot up uh, Ocarina of Time on the Nintendo Switch Online right now, if you boot it up, it still plays like a dream. It is insane how well oh, yeah. that game controls and how well it just how well even modern people with modern 3D adventure game sensibilities can just kind of immediately adapt to this world and know exactly what they're looking at. Granted, you've lost a couple polygons by going back to 1998 at this point. Uh, But like if you, if you had just named it something else, you could very easily pass Ocarina of Time off today as an indie 3D adventure game. And it would still come out and be, it would, be indie game of the year very easily definitely definitely and they they just they what they did is they just set the standard for 3d adventure games no one had done it like that no one had made something like this but certain things about it are definitely feeling dated 25 years later oh yeah example kind of just the sort of empty hyrule field of course but at what what people that weren't kind of there when it was brand new and when this was an absolute revolutionary game is it felt absolutely enormous at that time we hadn't we had really truly never seen anything like this the the size of the world in a 2d game is only so big because you can only see it one tv screen at a time no matter how big that map is you're only taking it in one screen at a time. So when you have now this third dimension where you can travel around in it seamlessly, you can look around and like view things that are very far in the distance. You see the horizon. You're like, I can go there. Yeah. And, and not only that, but the sun comes up and it sets. Yeah. You got sunrises and sunsets and weather and things change when the sun goes down. It was just breathtaking. And I think people that weren't around for when that was new, it's hard to grasp just how amazing that was at the time. Yeah. Just how big the high rule field felt like when you first get out there and you start running around, uh, it, it felt absolutely enormous. You felt like, like there was no end in sight. It's like, I'm going to, I could play this game forever. There's so much to do. That's what it felt like for sure. But you know, they were trying to create a 3d game, but trying to adapt a formula, uh, like they still needed to make a Zelda game 
essentially. So we still had to have dungeons. We still had to have items. We still had to have enemies. And it still needed to be recognizably a Zelda game. And already by this time, several of the the, the hallmarks that had established themselves are the dungeons of Zelda. And... You know, with a with a ton of Zelda games now in the canon, uh, I can maybe go back and, and criticize them a little bit more. But when it came out, with the exception of probably the Water Temple, it felt like the the single greatest dungeon areas. It felt like the single greatest video game designed areas that had ever existed in the history of man. Oh yeah. And it's still, honestly, it still feels like that. Like, if there's any reason in this day and age to go back to Ocarina of Time, it's for the temples. It's for the dungeons. The design to this day, and this is not like a humble brag, but for for whatever reason, I personally never had an issue with the water temple. I know that's kind of a big thing, like this kind of almost universal struggle with the, the... insanity inducing uh, (laughs) underwater labyrinth of the water temple. Uh, I remember my brother being, I think he would, I'll have to confirm, but I think he was stuck on just the water temple for an extremely long time. Like I'm talking six months to a year. Mm -hmm. He didn't beat the water temple. And I don't know if it was because I was older or if I just, if it was just pure dumb luck that I found like where I was supposed to go. But um, I, I actually really still to this day enjoy the water temple. There's so many cool things about it, but, uh, going back to in general, I think the dungeons in that game are absolutely top notch. Every single one is fantastic and yeah. can't really say that about most Zelda games for most other Zelda games. After that, there are some really, really cool temples, uh, but they're kind of hit or miss after that. Even as like one of the biggest Zelda fans ever, I'm like, yeah, there's, there's only kind of a handful of, of truly great uh, dungeons in the games after Ocarina of time, but in Ocarina, it's like, they're all super good and so fun and so inventive and did things with the 3d space that even to this day are just like, mind-blowing like the the hallways in the forest temple that change Mm -hmm. the perspective of the room that you enter or uh the the invisible platforms in the spirit temple uh there's just so much cool stuff that they did that was just so inventive with the 3d space that that were just it's just mind-blowing like how did they even think of this well, you still wind up having a lot of the recognizable items from Zelda history. You've got, yes. you know, your bow and arrows, you got your bombs, you've got your hookshot, like we talked about. And mm-hmm. um, but in addition to that, they added a very interesting new item, the titular Ocarina of Time. And yes. even though Nintendo hadn't even though on a Nintendo 64 cartridge there wasn't necessarily the possibility of like 100% full authentic, like CD sound. So you couldn't have like a full orchestra behind it. Like they'd wind up doing with Mario galaxy, you Mm -hmm. know, some years later, but music was still an, 
integral part of this game, not just the, you know, the sweeping tunes that accompanied you every time you went into a dungeon or across Hyrule Field, but it was actually baked into the very mechanics of the game. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if if you let me, I could geek out on just (laughs) the music and it's not just the music because I played Final Fantasy seven and for the longest time, it was probably my number one favorite game. Mm -hmm. And one of the just completely awe-inspiring things about that game, yes, it's it's got a fantastic battle system, it's got an amazing story, great characters, but for me, the music took it to a completely different level. Like, if you had that same game, everything about it, but the music was just kind of forgettable, or there was no music or whatever the case may be, it wouldn't be nearly as good of a game to me. And so when you hop over to Ocarina of Time, you could say the same thing, but in a completely revolutionary and in a way that has never been done before, the music is not just, it's not just background music. It's not just something that's playing and setting the mood for that area of the game or that level or whatever. They had the genius idea to turn your controller into a musical instrument. So I don't know if I'm sure everyone remembers doing this, but <laughs> when you enter the mode of the game where you, you know, play the notes you play the of notes, the yeah. ocarina, right? You can play whatever you want. You don't have to follow the prescribed combination of buttons to play the song that, you know, activates whatever you're trying to activate. You can just play whatever you want. And I would sit there and be like, oh, I wonder if I can play smoke on the water. And then like, you can manipulate it a lot more than just, you know, the five or six notes that create the the tunes in the game. You can, you can, you know, change the pitch. You can add some little tremolo in there and you can kind of play whatever you want. So I would sit there for long amounts of time, just like making little songs or seeing if I can play like, Oh, can I play a Nirvana song? Like (laughs) you could, you, you could play literally play an instrument and that not only, you know, is something that again, I don't remember anything before that ever giving me that level of freedom to just let me play an instrument for a while, but it played such an integral part of the, the game where, you know, at any given point, once you learn these songs and you gain these, these powers that, that are imbued into these, these melodies, you can, you can just pull out the ocarina at any point in time and you know, make it rain. Literally (laughs) you can, you can bring the sun up. Um, there's so much you can do with this music and it was beautiful music at the same time. So it was like, it took the, the genius compositions of Koji Kondo and quite literally put them in your hands. And that's just wild to even talk, even 25 years later, it blows my mind. I'm, I'm blowing my own mind, just sitting here. It's great. It's insane that they did this. Well, one of the off. Yeah, absolutely. They pulled it off. 
I do think one of the, from a musical standpoint, at least, you know, people from the outside, you know, look in and they hear people talk about the Legend of Zelda franchise. And for many people, I'm sure that in their minds, if they've never played a Zelda game, from the way people talk about it, Ocarina of Time is kind of like the Zelda game. Of course, everybody has their favorites, but uh, for a casual audience, I feel like Ocarina is kind of like the quick quintessential Zelda game at this point. Mm -hmm. So musically, I do think that it is kind of interesting to note that there is one very iconic, one very specific tune that doesn't actually appear in the game. Mm -hmm. What's that? that? Uh, the, uh, the, the classic Hyrule theme. Oh, right. Yeah. So, and, and that, that's a very interesting design choice <laughs> because, especially because, you know, you boot up the game and I don't know if 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 you had this uh, this same kind of ears perked up realization, but as soon as you boot up the game and you get that just beautiful mood setting title screen, yeah, with well, you know, one of the all timer title screens, frankly, yes, even absolutely. to this day, one of the all timer title screens, one of the best, absolutely. If if, if you just did a top five title screens it would absolutely be on there if not number one but seth did you hear that <laughs> i'm sure he did <laughs> but you boot it up and you know you've got you know it starts out with just kind of a simple you know you know going back and forth between these two chords on the you know, there's piano and strings and it's just very subtle but then all of a sudden this kind of flute like sound mm -hmm. which is you know it's it's the ocarina sound but it's this flute like sound and, and I'm sure this was intentional, but I immediately recognized it. Now I kind of, I recognized it as the flute song from super Mario brothers three, but it is also the, the song that plays when you play the flute in the original legend of Zelda for NES. And that instantly grounded me as this is a classic Nintendo game just from the very first seconds of, of booting it up. And so with that being the case, it is interesting that they don't include the in quotations, legend of Zelda theme song. Yeah. And I don't know the reasoning behind that necessarily. Um, there are kind of little hints at it here and there, but but you're right. They they never go into the full Legend of Zelda theme fanfare. So, so interesting. And I mean, we've already kind of touched on, you know, the gameplay, the music. And uh, again, you and I could just sit here and, and praise the game. But that's been done to death. And why yeah. I don't think I have anything to add. Again, you know, Zelda is good equals the water is wet <laughs> of Nintendo. Right. Uh, but... I mean, still, as much as people were, were waiting for Nintendo to have a hit, when this game came out in late 1998, the hype levels were still through the roof, regardless of whether or not the game was going to be uh, critically successful. It was already commercially successful. Right. The Legend of Zelda, at the time, actually set a Guinness World Record for most advanced orders, most advanced pre-orders wow. of a video game, and it wound up selling several million copies uh, just by the end 
of the month. So uh, it was already kind of a phenomenon after it had come out. And obviously after, uh, you know, following that, uh, following the, uh, the holiday shopping season, during which I'm sure many a young boy and girl got their first Nintendo 64 along yes. with a conspicuously <laughs> gold cartridge. Right, right. You know, following that, obviously we wound up getting the first direct sequel to a Zelda game. Well, yeah. if, you know, Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link, you know, you could make it. But we got a direct sequel in the form of Majora's Mask a couple years later. Right. But we also... Nintendo was also working on kind of a weird little spinoff game, not quite, uh, not quite content on the cart, but they were working on this weird little thing called the Master Quest or mm-hmm. uh, Ura Zelda, as it was called, because they were still desperately trying to make the Nintendo sixty four disc drive a thing. Right, it, right. <laughs> they were still trying to do that, which I think is hilarious. But we wound up getting Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time Master Quest on the GameCube uh, a, a few years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is such an interesting kind of footnote within Zelda history because it was, it kind of felt a little bit like the lost levels like super mario brothers the lost levels when we finally got that like this wasn't ocarina of time but it was it was harder and it was it was essentially a remixed version so especially for north american audiences i'm sure it felt like a bizarre type of release i do want to state that this actually wasn't the first time that nintendo had done something Mm -hmm. like this with the zelda franchise North American audiences were never really graced with the bizarre wonder that was the Satella view for <laughs> the Super Nintendo. Uh-huh. But uh, there were a couple little weird spin-off Zelda games akin to Master Quest for this Satella view service on the Super Nintendo. So, but we did wind up getting the uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time uh, Master Quest. And were you ever able to play that? Oh, yeah. So it was weirdly a um, a pre-order bonus for yes. Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Wind Waker. Yep. yep. And um, I was uh, living in Massachusetts at the time and I pre-ordered uh, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker from my local at the time was called Electronics Boutique, which EB. then became EB Games. Um, and, but in between the time that they had the pre-order bonus, which, uh, I played the crap out of it. Um, (laughs) uh, but then I ended up moving to Texas and, um, you know, I went in to cancel my pre-order. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm moving to Texas. I I need to cancel my pre-order. I'm not going to be here when the game comes out. And they were like, Oh, well you need to, you know, you need to bring the, the, the pre-order bonus back and i was like what what why that's that doesn't make any sense it's it's a free thing it's just for pre-ordering the game and i was like well what happens if i just don't cancel my pre-order and they were like well then you can't pick up the game and i was like 
all right, bye. <laughs> Left and, uh, you know, never got my $5 back, but that uh, that game was sure worth the $5. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was about to say. I was like, I think you, I think you made out okay in that trade-off. Like, what did they think I was going to do? Like, <laughs> But just silly side story on that. But uh, but yeah, and it's, and it's weird that that was kind of, that was the only way that that was ever really released. And, yeah. you know, you think that they, they could have, made that into you know a, a retail release and you know maybe charge 29.99 or something for it but uh you know it would have sold for sure it's got the zelda game on it's got the zelda name on it it surely would have sold well um well so i mean it is kind of interesting that they only released it as a as a yeah. pre-order bonus well, it's been Ocarina of Time has been available in some form on essentially every home console that Nintendo has released right. since the Nintendo sixty four. It's true. been av- available in that you know pre order bonus form, but obviously Virtual Console on the Wii, Virtual Console on the Wii U, and NSO on the Nintendo Switch. So, yep. I mean, every home console since the Nintendo sixty four has been able to play Ocarina of Time. It's a well that Nintendo understandably. keeps going back to but yeah it is kind of weird that the master quest version of the game does seem to kind of exist within this weird vacuum yeah um so but i I would definitely love to see that become more readily available because it is such an interesting part it is part of the legacy of one of the greatest games ever made so i would like to see that become more widely available now obviously we did get a 3d remake in i believe 2011 uh for the nintendo 3ds we got ocarina of time 3d which i mean i don't know if this is a hot take i know there's a lot of very strong opinions on majora's mask 3d but as far as i'm concerned you know I, i i love ocarina of time but 3d is in my mind kind of head and shoulders the definitive version of that game if i were going to choose between either the nintendo 64 or 3ds version of the game to play i would absolutely choose the 3ds version which is weird to say because so many people essentially considered ocarina perfect once it came out so to think about you know a game coming out and essentially improving on perfection but that 3d remake on the 3ds was real good you guys it was real good yeah. And it looks amazing. Yeah, um, it looks so good and vibrant and and it, like even beyond just the 3D effect. Oh, yeah. With or without the 3D, just the the improvement in just the the textures and the polygon count, just everything looking oh, yeah. so much sharper, more crisp. The 64 kind of had this natural sort of blurriness to it yeah. um, that we didn't really necessarily recognize at the time. I just assumed um, it was like the CRT effect or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, but you know, that's, that's just how, what the architecture of that system made things look like. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, PS one has its own weird anomalies in that, you know, everything looks extremely pixelated up close and it was just it was just a different way of rendering a 3d space uh but the 3ds just that that version is is it's really hard to go back to like the 64 version after playing the 3ds version and uh you know it'd be interesting obviously it wouldn't have the 3d but um it would be interesting to get kind of that version of the game 
released uh, either on the Switch or or on yeah. you know the next console. I don't see why they couldn't you know just turn that into a uh, a two D um, just higher resolution, higher polygon count, better texture version of Ocarina of Time. Uh, well, I, I would I'm not going to lie. That. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. Obviously, for the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers, we wound up getting that Mario 3D All-Stars yep. package with Sunshine and and uh, Galaxy and Mario 64. Mm-hmm. And coming up on the 35th anniversary of the original Legend of Zelda a little while back, like, I'm not going to lie, like those rumors got me, all the rampant speculation about a Zelda right. 3D All-Stars with like Ocarina and Majora's Mask and Wind Waker you know, all in one package. And I was just like, Oh, that would be, that would be all of the amazing. I mean, it would have sold like un- unbelievable numbers, but who knows why these decisions are made <laughs> sometimes <laughs> why things don't, don't get released when it seems like they would just be printing money. But, uh, you know, we'll see, maybe we'll get something like that. You know, the GameCube, we got the anniversary collection, which was we did. Yep. Uh, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, um, and Legend of Zelda and Zelda 2, right? Am I? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, that's correct. Uh, all four of those games, not the Master Quest version of Ocarina, but, um, and, and that was another one that interestingly um, was never a, an individual retail version uh, or retail release. You, yep. you could either get it as a, uh, at least in North America, you could get it as a club Nintendo bonus now called my Nintendo, how you can, you know, turn in points for, for extras and goodies and stuff. Um, but I think you had to purchase two specific, there were, there was a specific list of Nintendo titles, both GameCube or Game Boy Advance titles. And if you registered those two titles, you could get this legend of Zelda anniversary collection for free. And then I think later on, it was a pack in with the GameCube, a uh, platinum uh, GameCube. I oh, think I think that's right. I think yeah. that's right. <clears throat> later yeah. in the console cycle, it was a it was a console pack in. But again, they didn't release it as a standalone retail game. Uh, and again, you would think, you know, it's like these are games that are already classics, already mm-hmm. tried and true, already basically developed you would just have to like port it and make sure it's running on the new system seems like it would be a no-brainer that you're just printing money at that point <laughs> but you would think who knows you would think uh but i mean regardless like at this point 25 years later the game has essentially achieved a mythic status yes. within the industry it is you know, I, I very hyperbolically said earlier on that Nintendo was essentially building the groundwork for the future of 3D adventure games. And as hyperbolic as that statement may have sounded, that's basically what Ocarina of Time became. Yeah. And you know, like you don't even have to take my word for it. The game itself was inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame last year at the strong national museum of play ocarina Mm. of time was inducted into the video game hall of fame and even in the game's profile they quote hiditaka miyazaki from from software you know the guy who puts out all of the games that everybody on the planet loves these days the dark souls the elden rings the sekiro shadows die twices of the world this is the guy that they have quoted as saying that ocarina of time is a quote 
textbook for 3D action games, end yep. quote. And and you can see it. You can see the roots of Elden Ring and all of those types of games stemming all from that same branch. Uh, you know, Ocarina of Time started yeah. all of that. Without Ocarina, you don't have Skyrim. Or you don't have all these other huge, you know, you know, now it seems like everything has to be an open world game or it's worthless, apparently, which is a silly take. But that's kind of what it seems like. And that that all kind of started because with 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 because the whole concept, even from the first uh, Legend of Zelda on the NES, the, the concept was this is not a linear game. You can kind of tra- traverse this overworld wherever you mm-hmm. want and you don't have to necessarily do these dungeons in a specific order. Yep. And that was the open world concept that we hadn't really had before, which translated to the uh, Super Nintendo version and translated to Ocarina of Time. And, you know, that's kind of in in my mind, that's where the open world game adventure game concept came from. Um, So, yeah, uh, of course, he's going to point to Ocarina of Time as the, the the milestone that stemmed all of these incredible massive uh adventure games that's it started there i mean uh even you know like people at rockstar you know the the people that uh, made the the grand theft auto games they were singing the praises of, of ocarina of time before they made something that very clearly has the dna uh of of that franchise in it and all of these like you, you think about the time period when it came out Many of the young developers, many of the young, uh, you know, professionals within the industry now are growing up. I have lived in a world where this game has just always kind of existed. You know, it's weird to kind of think back on remembering when this game initially came out. And now it's just kind of like this living legend. Uh, it's, yeah. it's so easy. It's so easy to cite the game as being the best reviewed game of all time, the 99% uh, Metacritic score, which is just absolutely staggering to this day. It just speaks to it being very hard to find fault with anything that the game does. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty clear that they succeeded in making a virtually flawless game. Yeah. And again, you know, you look back at the time, that was something that Nintendo essentially needed to do around that time. They certainly had a lot of big name releases come out in the following years, but Ocarina of Time absolutely needed to hit for them. And it did. I, you know, when we do a lot of these retrospectives here on the show, I can't help but wonder, I just kind of instinctively wonder about... A, a timeline where maybe all of this wasn't the case where maybe Ocarina of Time came out and, you know, underperformed. It was essentially just another Yoshi story moment, you know, and what the potential ramifications would be to mm. the history of the entire industry. In many cases, it's just like, okay, well that game didn't come out and do as well as it would have. But you look at the strings, you look at the connections, you look at the lineage of influence that that game has had. Right. And if that game didn't come out 
if Ocarina of Time came out and wasn't Ocarina of Time, you could make an argument that the landscape of the video game industry would look vastly different right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an easy point to make. It's it's funny. It's kind of uh, we have this similar discussion uh, occasionally on on Retrogroove. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my my co-host Liam and I will talk about you know this if this particular artist or this particular music producer hadn't done this particular thing, we wouldn't have all of this that came after it that was highly influential or highly influenced by that. It's an interesting, almost, almost philosophical thought exercise because it's like, okay, if Ocarina of Time either hadn't come out or it was just riddled with problems and it bombed or it wasn't what it should have been, it was, it, it never became the milestone that it did. Would there have been something else that would have taken that torch and been that milestone game or would it just never have gotten to that point and we wouldn't it would have taken a lot longer for the the game world to evolve and improve it's an interesting thought exercise i don't have an answer i just, it's yeah. just it tripped out on that kind of stuff all i can say is that's a timeline that i don't want to live on right exactly <laughs> <laughs> but it's not i a mean future i want to live in exactly but congratulations to 25 years ocarina you know here we are you know tears of the kingdom came out earlier this year and is likely going to win a lot of game of the year awards rightfully so 25 years after kind of its progenitor came out and won all of the game of the year awards back in, in 1998. But you look at tears of the kingdom, you look at a lot of the stuff going on in Ocarina of time and all of the, you know, so many of the base systems that are virtually untouched. You look at the combat in tears Mm -hmm. of the kingdom and it's instantly, instantly recognizable as something you'd see in an ocarina of time granted in tears of the kingdom you have a couple more options for you know for weapons and implements but like i I booted up ocarina last night on nso and i'm like this feels almost exactly like tears of the kingdom's combat the traversal and navigating the dungeons feels almost exactly like tears of the kingdom, you know, 25 years later. Right. So just another testament to Nintendo realizing the importance of getting this one right. And I mean, they certainly have Zelda games continue to be event releases. They continue to be some of the most celebrated games within the history of the industry. Many Zelda games, many games within this franchise. I mean, with most franchises, you could make the argument which game is the best in the series. In the Le- in the Legend of Zelda franchise, there are many games within the franchise you could say could make an argument for among the best games ever made. Mm-hmm. So this is just the pedigree that we're talking about. And arguably... Yeah arguably ocarina of time sits at the head of the table but yeah that's for you guys in the discord to talk about yeah <laughs> we were just here 
to to sing the praises of an amazing game celebrating its silver anniversary, a quarter century of one of the most influential, most celebrated releases of all time. And thank you once again, Adam, for yeah. hanging out and uh, and talking some Zelda with oh, me, my friend. My favorite thing to talk about. Yes, it's been a very, very fun <laughs> Friendsgiving and you, sir, have have kind of mentioned in passing this thing called retro groove. Uh, what pray tell is that, sir? Oh, just real quick. It's it's uh, my podcast I do with with my buddy Liam, uh, and it's a biweekly uh, music history podcast. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, Seth has been on. Uh, once, yes, he has. A, once per season, we like to have him on talk about some uh some game composers um I'll, we just had him on recently a few episodes ago actually in our our blink 182 episode because we yeah couldn't, we couldn't think of a bigger blink 182 fan to, to, <laughs> to bring on um but uh yeah we're so you know it's retro groove we're on all the you know wherever you get your podcasts uh if you if you like music uh and podcasts then hey we got a we got a podcast for you um i'm also pretty active on twitter it's um <laughs> octo rock r-o-c-k little music pun there uh octo rock 1982 i'm on twitter i'm on discord uh, i'm on youtube i don't i'm not super active on on youtube for a while but there's some fun stuff on there uh i've got a tunic unboxing video and i've got a little uh uh went to uh, classic game fest in austin uh this past summer and uh got a nice nice long fun silly video there on that <laughs> uh, i wish i was more active on youtube but there's just no time there's just no time for it fair enough but what did you say your handle on twitter was sir octo rock octo rock 1982 i wonder if you were the right person to come in and talk about zelda well, there's look, <laughs> there's a lot of Zelda fans out there. I'm I, I'm I know by no means do I, you know, profess to be the biggest. Um, although I don't know too many people with a <laughs> Zelda tattoo, so there is that. Oh, there you go. There you go. There had you to, go. Had to do it to myself. <laughs> Well, fair enough. I mean, if there's any game franchise that, you know, elicits that much of a reaction from its fans, it's certainly going to be Link's Adventures in the ever-shifting timeline of Hyrule. Yeah. Uh, once again, super, I mean, congratulations to Ocarina of Time. This was Woo. a big one in terms of retrospectives. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I got to to spend it with such a great friend of the show here on our friends hey. giving uh, two parter. And if you want to check us out, make sure to uh, you can find us at All In Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter. Make sure to join our YouTube channel. Like even though Seth's been off the past couple of weeks, videos have still been coming out just such as the dedication to our craft. So make sure to check out youtube.com slash all in podcast. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash all in podcast, where you can subscribe to three different tiers. Uh, the one up tier, the golden banana tier, the Triforce tier. And we even create exclusive content for our patrons. We do a weekly podcast just for our patrons. So we would very much appreciate if you mosey on over there and uh, and check that out but in addition to that we've got merch check out our merch at bit.ly slash all in merch we've got so so much going on and for uh 
or and yeah, one last thing. If uh, if you can't become a patron, completely understand money is money and money is hard and money means adulting. But if you would like to, if you like what you're listening to and want to support the channel in a free way, you can, as Seth likes to say, drop some words on whatever podcasting service you happen to find us on, be at Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, wherever allows you to to rate or leave a review of your podcasts. Uh, we would certainly love and appreciate those. And to everybody who has done that, to all of our amazing patrons, of which Adam is one. Thank you very much, sir, for well, your support. Well, I had support. to do the Triforce tier. That's some top tier marketing right there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. How could I not subscribe to the Triforce tier? I mean, of come course. on. <laughs> of course. And you get those cool shout outs at the beginning of every episode like I did earlier. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's classic. You get to hear my name or your name come out of my mouth. I mean, what greater gift is there? There in is this no world? higher honor. <laughs> no <laughs> higher honor. <laughs> but yes, this ad read is going a little bit off the rails. But yes, to everybody who has <laughs> dropped words, to everybody who has, to all of you legendary patrons, including you, my friend, uh, to everybody who has supported us in any way, shape, or form. To all of you, I would just like to say namaste. This has been a fantastic, fun couple of weeks. I've loved having all of these friends on for these Friendsgiving episodes. And, you know, do you have anything that you're doing for, for Thanksgiving weekend here, Adam? Eating a lot of ham. We do A lot we, of ham. Nice. We do ham. We're, we're, n- none of us are, none of us like turkey in this house. So we're, we do ham <laughs> brisket or ham. We'll do brisket or ham and hey, it's, brisket. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Very it's, nice. It's it, it meat with actual flavor to it. Yeah. Meat with actual. Well, <laughs> whatever you guys are doing this weekend, thank you for spending a little bit of it with us and our community. We would love to have you over here. If you're not already come join the discord, come join this amazing community. As I've proven over the past couple weeks, it is full of amazingly creative, amazingly talented people. And we would love for you to be a part of it. So we will see you guys next week with another brand new episode of all in a Nintendo podcast. But until then guys have a great Thanksgiving weekend. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Eat some ham. <laughs>